Welcome to Bob episode 2 of Waco, but actually not episode, part, excuse me, part 2 of Waco, episode 25. Micah, what did we cover in this episode? Clearly Waco. Yeah, well we covered, yeah, we, we, covered, <laughs> we covered the actual assault uh, of yeah. Waco and uh, the I guess the initial assault uh, that mm-hmm. was... Um, the Initial arrest raid. warrants being executed for David Koresh and a few of his followers, uh, and then basically what happened afterwards, following all the way up to uh, the final assault, um, which ended in uh, disaster. Yeah, this actually turned out. We didn't know it was going to turn into this, but it actually turned into a. This will be a Bob first, uh, which is going to be our first three-parter. It might be like kind of a half three-parter though, because it might be like closing out of Waco, rolling into the Oklahoma stuff, the Oklahoma bombing. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, real quick, guys, as always, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, mainly Facebook is where I'm going to be at, and that's where you can contact me. You can message me. Also, please rate us on anything you may be listening to. We are most available, I think, on every single platform except for Pandora. That is the only one we're pending. And then the Audible Amazon music as well, as soon as they have that up and running for everybody. So it's not really that we've been denied. It's just waiting for everybody to be approved. Um, Oh, real quick shout-out. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Ben Jenkins real quick. Oh, my goodness, I said his last name. I apologize, Ben. Um, but he's hooking us up with something, and we're going to get into this. Uh, and maybe next time I keep saying this, but next time we're out there, Mike, you and I need to do a live and like catch everybody up on what we're doing. We're getting our own website. He's hooking us up that way. He actually has his own company, uh, the Nito Creative, uh, which is he can set up anything for you from logos to web, uh, like your own personal domain page. Um, he's hooking us up that right now, and we're going through him, and it's been a great process. Matter of fact, I was kind of picky. I should say too picky, but I was kind of picky. He sent over like five templates that we could use for a logo because we're thinking about updating our logo as well. And I, I was like, oh, those are all pretty cool, but can I combine like this one with that one? And like we were talking for a couple minutes on the phone. He's been great about it as far as, you know, just being open to us giving uh, feedback because the last company we went through, there was none of that. It was just like, here are your choices, and when I ask for something different, they change the color. So we didn't get a lot of options on that, which I think is kind of messed up. If you're paying for something, you know, you should get it. But anyways, you guys, check him out. Um, and if you want to email him, you can also email him at neatocreative at gmail.com. Once again, that's neatocreative at gmail.com. There's an O in between neat and creative. Yeah, we'll definitely add a link to that. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to let him know. You guys should check him out. He should, he's, this is his own company. This is something he started up, you know, the pandemic, the world pandemic hit. And he was like, screw it. Why well, go back to work when I can work for myself? So, you know, good for him. I hope. I mean, I'm giving our business to him, you know. Hopefully, uh, we can keep it going for him, you know. But I think that's about it. That's all I want to add before we get ready to roll the music here and get going into this. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, play, you play that music. Play that fucking music, This is not exactly one of those episodes. No, that's yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's bad. It's really bad. Let's uh, let's dig into it, I guess. <laughs>
What's happening guys? Welcome to episode 25 of Bob. Today we're digging into part 2 of Waco as mentioned in the introduction. Also just want to point out real quick too, we're going to jump right into it because last time we kind of diddy daddled. Wait, dilly daddled? What's the term? Is it dilly daddled? Dilly, yeah, dilly daddled. Dilly dallied? I feel like I'm saying, is it diddled? It's not diddly. No, you it's diddle not yourself. <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, we, yeah, we're not diddling ourselves on these uh, episodes. Hands in the air, on the table, promise. Um, point being, we're going to jump right into it because last time I was definitely sick, but I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight through this one. I was pretty, uh, I wouldn't say sleepy, but I, I was pretty boring. So we'll try to make this one a little more interesting than the last time, I think, as far as just getting right to the facts and not dragging out too long on some of the facts we went over. But Micah, do you remember about where we left off? I think we were leading right up to the... Uh, yeah, I, th I think we got right, pretty much right um, to the ATF actually coming in contact with him. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I misspoke. I believe we, we covered pretty much everything up until February 28th. Oh, God. Which is the day that uh, they tried to execute the um, arrest Order warrant. 66. <laughs> oh, wait, I just said that wrong. Every Storrs fan out there is going to be pissed I think it is now. 66. Is it 66? Yeah, or is I it think six, it is order, it's 66. Oh, dang it. Okay. Pretty sure it's order 66. So far off track already. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on to Star Wars already, guys. <laughs> okay, all right. We, we, we've got this. We're going to do this. Um, I did misspeak last episode, too, when I, I was trying to think of a Congress lady. That comes up later in the story. And I was trying to think of it leading up to this current event that we're going to talk about today, where everything kicked off. She comes into play later on when the, the full-on siege, the final assault, takes place. Um, but I just want to lay a little bit, <clears throat> some of my notes, uh, leading up to what happened February 28, 1993. So, uh, Robert Rodriguez, as we had mentioned, the uh, college students living across the street there, uh, great <laughs> incognito, too. They were, nobody had any suspicions at all about them. Uh, it actually says that he tried to warn the ATF that David knew that they were coming. The whole plan was to be a surprise. So Robert himself said nothing illegal was taking place there. Um, so that's it. in his own words when he's reporting back to his uh, commanding officer, which I, I, I didn't have his name written down, and I, I looked for it, or I should have had that written down. But when he's reporting back to him, he's basically saying, yeah, you know, like I'm not seeing anything illegal actually taking place here. I'm not seeing anything that are grounds upon which we could go in and, you know, raid these guys. Excuse me, and this is, if we're trusting our, 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 our eyes on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, eyes and eyes and ears, he's a trained officer. He's not, you know, just some Yahoo or this is his first assignment or whatever. And, and they kind of throw him under the bus after this is all done. They basically say that he was getting, like, converted by David and that, you know, brainwashed. So that, that, they that is true, but he did actually end up suing... Oh sticks i moved this and i'm not used to it being there he's not used hope to that being didn't right make in his it face like yeah hope right that up didn't, in there uh, make a huge noise but anyway it was um he did actually sue the atf for defam defamement uh mm -hmm. defam defaming uh, defaming i think that's right defamation um defecation suit def <laughs> defamation <laughs> and he actually i believe it was like a two point something million dollar uh, out of court settlement that he got from them, so I did not know they that. Yeah, it was it wow. was pretty significant. Um, so clearly there was some 
problems mm-hmm. there, and, and they were they were lying about um, him being like swayed or, or yeah. whatever. You know, he was still uh, an agent um, that was there to do his job. I feel like last week we we definitely ripped on David. I I mean, if you listen to that episode and you listen to the foundation that was laid out, if you made it to the whole episode, thank you. Um, Because this will be more um, in-depth for you. You'll have a little more insight as to what we're talking about. But I feel like we really, uh, we took a massive dump on David as a person uh, last episode, in my opinion. Rightfully so. And rightfully so. And I think we're going to piss more people off because um, we're not necessarily going to defend David anymore in this episode because there's going to be some things I'm definitely pissed about myself. But we're now like flipping the table around and we're like, all right, how much uh, crap can we dump on the the FBI's handling of the situation? Now, to be clear on this, though, and we're going to get into the details, this isn't just my goal to make every person in law enforcement look bad or anything of that nature. This is just simply to say, hey... Mother truckers messed up. You need to be held accountable. And as we'll get through all these details, there's some serious question on the conduct of how they approached this entire situation and the things that took place both internally and externally. And we're, we're going to get into all that. So as always with our show, we're just bringing you the story. We're going to lay the facts out as they present themselves. And then we're going to evaluate those facts. You will evaluate for yourself. And then we'll give our closing statements and thoughts on it. So, um, so really quick then, um, where did I where did I leave off? Nothing legal. Oh yeah, nothing illegal was going on. So, David himself actually the morning of the assault called uh, called out uh, Rodriguez. So up to this point, I guess Rodriguez thought he had been totally like undercover James Bond. Like he he thought he was on the inside. Nobody knew what was going on, and um, it was a reporter. And this is where it gets a little funky. Is that the ATF? had brought in their own reporter, okay, to handle the situation. Now, what? here's what's weird. This reporter messed up. Remember when he released the whole, like, the, the, the sinful messiah thing? You remember that part happening? Yes, uh, but I, I believe the, the ATF actually tried to prevent that from being released. Correct, right? And it, they blamed that person, basically saying, hey, you were here to control the narrative. Well, this is going to be my take on this. You're here to control the narrative. We need to be the saviors. You're, that's your job. You're here to document that. You're here to not let any really word get out about David and, and allow people to get sympathetic to his situation or their situation. This is your job. I can't remember if it was a lady or a man. I think it was a lady messed up on this. It's not really her fault. It just it got printed and released because the people in the area were like, we're not going to hold off on this, right? Because they were waiting for their, excuse me, they were waiting for everything to come through as far as the warrants and uh, search warrants and all that to come through, arrest warrants. So on while waiting and that gets released, and, I, and this is where I always get a little confused. It seems like they actually let that person go, the news person, I don't know if you have any more information about this, but it seems like they're kind of like them pushed off to the side. And what ended up happening was a random reporter from near Waco, and I can't remember this guy's name, was trying to find the Waco location because he caught wind of this. So he was just literally himself in a van driving around, gets lost on the way there. That's how like out of the city this place was. And just happened to see a U.S. postal man and was like, hey... Um, looking for blah blah blah. I don't remember the address, Mount Carmel, whatever it is, but you know, wait or the Mount Carmel area. And the guy was like, Yeah, I know where that's at, right? But it just so happened by a 
stroke of luck, I guess it were, that the U.S. Postal Service guy that he stopped to ask happened to be David Koresh's brother-in-law because he was, um, his sisters were married to David. Matter of fact, I think one of his sisters was the one that David was married to. What was her name? I don't have it in front of me right now. I don't remember. Uh, I, I should remember know this too. We're so it, bad with it. We gotta start writing the names down. <laughs> people are gonna think we're gonna making this crap up. I don't know. There was a name of. There was a guy. And but anyway, uh, the reporter worked for KWTX TV. Okay. Um, I don't, it should get his name. Asked for he. It doesn't. It just says. Oh, I did. Um, okay. It just says a reporter. It, I don't have a name. Um, but yeah, the it was his his brother in law worked for the U.S. Postal Service, and he had told him. Um, mm-hmm. Then he he immediately went to David Koresh and told yeah. him. Now, um, when he so. comes in doing this, when he goes to David, the, we're talking about the postal worker here, goes in to tell David, "Hey, um, looks like something's going down because there's a reporter on his way." And I, I, it's not clear if the reporter mentioned completely too, like. Hey, there's a raid going down, but I think he knew there was going to be an attempt for search warrants and was going to be there to document it kind of deal. So he goes and tells David, and David, or I'm sorry, the other Robert Rodriguez is still there when this happens. He's in the compound, and this is when David called him out and was like, hey, I know who you are, Rodriguez. And like, you know, basically was like, you can stop this. You can end this. You know, tell him there's no wrong here. I'm just sleeping with children, and you know, there's nothing wrong. Um, and anyway, <laughs> I gotta stop. <laughs> so, the guy, basically, at this time, David is is truly taken back that oh my crap, they've known who I was this whole time. They didn't kill me. They didn't do anything. Blah blah blah. He goes to his superior at the time. I think in the on the miniseries on Netflix, it's depicted as if he runs down the street to try and stop them. You know, it's very dramatic and cinematic, but it is kind of relatively close. That he had enough time to talk to them across where their, their little uh, college dormitory where they'd been set up and tell them, listen, he knows you're coming. You need to call the raid off because they know you're coming. And they he did admit, you know, obviously they, they do have firearms, nothing illegal, but they've got firearms and they've got a lot of them and they got a lot of people. So, like, this is not, you need to hold off on this. And and, and, he, and that's when he stated to his superior, listen, they're not even doing anything illegal. Why are, why are you raiding them right now? So... Um, now for those that might be saying these guys are just totally doing their job and, and that's true just like we got to evaluate the situation with the sniper at Ruby Ridge you don't have the time as a sniper to sit there and, and evaluate all the information right you're given orders and you follow your orders I'm glad I don't have that job because like in the back of my head too like if you were that sniper or these guys going in as far as they're probably told they were told some guy was a cult leader is you know molesting children and is beating children and has a ton of weapons and drugs i'm assuming this is something relatively along the lines of what they were told right and they had to make so they had some search warrants for the property and for arrests um but here's the one weird thing i just want to i just want to put out there to, to tell you how like uh committed this this guy that was heading we really need to pull up this guy's name i i apologize that i don't have it written down right here um, he was the head of the, the ATF pushing this forward at the time. If you want to maybe try and find that while I lay out what's going on. So, um, he told him to call it off. Uh, also, oh yeah, yeah. So the ATF agents that were going in initially had their blood types written on their arms and their necks. Now, I don't know if that's standard procedure, but that to me indicates that it was recommended, listen, for speedy, um, you know, basically assistance if, if things turn violent, that we will know the blood type, right? So 
to me, I think right off the bat, that's indicating that you're you're kind of, in a sense, gearing up for war. And with all the stuff you already got involved with the DEA and the DOD, you have been prepping for this. You have gotten the militarization assistance, which I would have to look up the actual law on this. But there is, isn't there, there was, um, excuse me, I don't know. I'm getting too deep on stuff now off the top of my head. But there's got to be a law on that between the rules of using military force on U.S. citizens and upon U.S. soil. I don't remember the exact details of it. But we'll get into that at the end of some of this. I think there were. There was some statements saying there was kind of some violations of rights and of uh, the Constitution on some of that. But we'll dig into that farther as we go. So news reporter asked for, oh, I already talked about that. Uh, David, brother-in-law. Okay, so, uh, oh, yeah, so uh, Rodriguez said when he was leaving, this was his final statement about leading the compound. He said they were arming up and they were praying. So, I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't know what, you know, it's like we already laid out that David felt and has been teaching his people that doomsday is coming. I think in that one interview that you and I listened to both, if you've listened to it with David Thibodeau, he talked about how he was up on the um, on the house working on it one time with David. And David told him, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah the names are both David. Throws me off. So David Koresh was working with David Thibodeau. And David Koresh, I'm just going to say Koresh, told David you know, one day they're they're going to roll tanks down that. You know, they're going to roll them down the road to come in and, and, and invade us, basically. I mean, he flat out said tanks. So, and, and David, you know, the younger guy at the time was like, they're not, that's not going to happen. Like, we, this is not how the U.S. works, right? Like, we don't enroll tanks down the road on each other. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, you got a note to add? Uh, I, I, I'm finding it very difficult to find... The, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't a mistake on my end, like a readily available piece of information I should have had ready. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, listener, that you're listening right now. I'm failing you on this. If you're one of those people that needs all the facts and all the names, which I always like to really have, and if you've listened to my other stuff I presented, I always try to probably give too many facts. But this one, it, it will come back up, I'm sure, at some point. He may not have been that big of a deal, but I, I thought at the time he was the one that was heading up the, the investigation for the ATF. But anyways... We arrive at the fateful hour, and, and if we can't find his name and we end up finding a bio link for him, we'll link it into the show notes. As always, any of the stuff we talk about, any audio we play, any videos we talk about, always link to the show notes. So if you're looking through our description, it's kind of long. Just keep scrolling down at the bottom before he gives all the links to how to keep in touch with us on social media. We will have um, a link to anything we've talked about, okay? I, I, I'm really big on trying to give people and show as much integrity and honesty with you as transparency to be, listen, here, here's what we have, here's what we're basing it on, and, and be as open as possible that way with any information presented to you. Um, so, Micah, we want to take it away here at 9.45 a.m., right? ATF rose up, rose, excuse me, arrives in civilian cars and SWAT gear. So they were actually in civilian gar cars, um, but all in SWAT gear. Oops. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hang on. Okay, I, pushed, I pushed a button on my computer. Okay. Uh -oh. So they're um, rolling up. Right. Okay. Um, already labeled for blood types and everything. Geared up, ready to go. And then um, this is where it gets a bit murky. Um, it, basically, David knows they're coming. And, oh, I'm sorry. If you want to uh, I was going to say, there, there are a few things that we should probably add before okay. you just yeah. get right into it. Yep, go for it. Um, so, obviously, normally an arrest warrant is served uh, with a knock on the door. They knock on your door, and they're like, hey, we're here to arrest such and such, whatever, and mm -hmm. that's how you do it. Um, the reason that this one was different 
was because of the war on drugs um, mm. and because the uh, affidavit um, that is I think it's the David Aguilera Aguilera yeah, yeah. Aguilera um, alleged that the Davidians uh, had violated federal law with their firearms mm-hmm. um, by trying to convert them to automatic and that yeah. uh, they were possibly operating a uh, meth lab, uh, which granted them access to military assets yeah. because of the um, indication of drugs. Yeah. So that is why it became no longer a knocking, knocking uh, arrest which, warrant, which as we it covered. Was, let's kick the door down. <clears throat> Right. Um, we covered that in the last episode saying how David or George Roden that had left there had been operating a meth lab. And when David Koresh took over the property, he brought them in, local you know, law enforcement, the sheriff, and they <clears throat> excuse me, said here's everything that was going on and the local law enforcement took it all out and, you know, put it in filed it away. So again, it's where I get pissed where if this guy and it's driving me nuts that we don't have a name to put to this guy, but the guy who's leading this charge at this point in time um, did not communicate with local law enforcement. A simple, even just a simple heads up is we're going to play some audio in a couple minutes here from the 911 phone call. The guy literally had no clue. I mean, not an inkling that this was about to go down. Nothing. So had they just even given a phone call saying, hey, we're going in to raid these guys, listing off the reasons, you know, and saying, you know, he's got a meth lab. He might have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we, no, they brought us in. We took care of that. There's, there's no meth lab. And that could have changed this drastically because like you said then they would have been forced to knock on the door you cannot just you know balls to the wall kick the front door down if it if if, from my understanding if it's just a serving of a a arrest warrant or a search warrant you have to knock Uh, like you're saying and present yourself they they technically could if they had reason to suspect that the person was there and was being hidden by okay Somebody they would have a right to to access if if that was that person's property. So I believe uh, David Koresh owned that property, correct? Cause yeah. Because he, he purchased it through mm-hmm. paying off the the taxes. The taxes, yeah. Um, so it was his property. They would technically have a right to enter that property because it is his property, and they had an arrest warrant for him. So they okay. would have a legal right to to enter the property. Um, okay. Now the only one that I can kind of come up with it, it looks as as a possibility and i could be wrong about this guy so don't hold me to it um but it looks like the name stephen higgins is possibly um the uh director um of the atf yeah it, it does say that yep he was uh the third director of the ATF from 83 to 93. Okay. And subsequently, um, well, not subsequently, but he ended up uh, stepping down after the Waco incident. Hmm, wonder um, why. <laughs> yeah. So it does look like Stephen Higgins was the director at the time, uh, which means he was also the director when... Um, Ruby Ridge happened. Ruby Ridge, yeah. And there's, there's going to be another guy involved with this, too, that gets involved from the FBI end of it. Uh, his name was Richard Rogers, I believe. And he was also heavily... Excuse me, I probably got frogs in my throat tonight. Heavily criticized 
for his uh, conduct of handling how he mishandled Ruby Ridge. And he ends up, we'll get into that in a minute, though. So uh, if you want to keep adding to what you're adding about how it would normally work. No, and I whatever, think we probably just kind of jump right in from there. I just thought it was important because uh, it wasn't like they were just going here to knock on someone's door and be like, hey, we have a warrant for your arrest. And we, for all we know, David would have uh, been fine with that. I mean, he had already been... Um, to a trial for the attempted murder charge that he was, uh, he did get a mistrial for, uh, and he showed up for that. It wasn't something that they had to um, kill anybody over. They didn't mm-hmm. have to shoot anybody, you know, to get him to to be compliant with it. Um, so for all they know, they could have knocked on the mother trucking door and been like, hey. We know that you're David Koresh, and we have a arrest warrant for you right here. We need you to come with us. Uh, it yeah. could have been as simple as that. Uh, I guess there were a few other followers um, that were on that list. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, they could have very easily had had approached it in a more civil manner um, rather than immediately just being like, hey. I mean, and, and they had, they, it's, it's not like they had any intentions of this going pretty much any other way. Um, it, it doesn't seem. I mean, that they, way. they had they had a they had a very direct plan of exactly what was going to happen. Uh, yeah. It was based all on being a surprise to them, so that they would not be armed. Um, which, obviously, as we've already covered, um, they even knew that it was not because of uh, Rodriguez um, being uh, an informant, uh, which David Koresh actually knew about, um, and it wasn't a secret. So. Uh, maybe maybe they they thought that he just didn't see anything because of that. I don't know, but uh, regardless, um, he informed the ATF that they knew about it uh, and that they should call the the assault off, and they chose to go anyway. But they had this all planned out. I mean, they had several different teams. Some of them were go, supposed to go for the dogs. Some of them were supposed yeah. to go for. Uh, the weapons, then there was a uh, team for the men's area and a team for the women and children's area. Right. They had this entirely mapped out, uh, and that was the intention. There was no civil knocking on the door no. to uh, take these people in peace. Yeah, it was supposed to be a speedy thing. They were going to come in. They were going to flex on national. Well, again, and this is where it's going to get, I have some questions. Seems that that guy who ended up there from the the WXTV or whatever you named from him, wherever he was at, he ended up there by accident. He actually followed the agents, and that's how he got there. He literally rode up with them, which kind of makes me wonder what the French toast was going on there too, because they kind of just let this guy roll up with them, or maybe they just didn't really notice what was going on. I, I don't know, but he rolls up with them but i don't think he was supposed to be right on the front lines like he ended up being i mean he was literally and we'll get into it in a second reporting from the front lines pinned down by gunfire as well i mean that was not supposed to happen right they had their own as we'll get into three helicopters were part of this they had video cameras on it that was going to be recording what was going down i truly truly believe if things had just gone successfully for them we would have gotten a totally different painting and picture of how it went down because it would have just been their video, their word, their, you know, basically the winner, of, you know, of any war rights history, right? So, um, anyway, so, uh, where was that? Okay, so speaking on the, uh, the, the, the dogs team, that, that is an interesting thing we're going to talk about because it, what happens here is uh, they're rolling up. David tells the women and children, 
basically to kind of get to safety. He does tell a few of his guys to man up, and even Rogers or Rodriguez mentioned that, that they were arming up and basically said, get posted. And he said, when they show up, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to defuse the situation. So I feel like David was kind of arrogant here a little bit because even if you are with totally within your rights, totally within your constitutional rights, it is very hard to go outside. Like if right now, let's just say you and I were in the same building and the cops showed up or the FBI, uh, a SWAT team. And if I say, hey, Micah, post up with your, your AR-15 and I'm going to go out and talk to these guys and tell them to stand down. And if they don't, you know, you know what to do. I feel like you, you're kind of setting the situation. And I'm not defending it. So to be clear on this, I, I don't play devil's advocate on both sides here. But you, you are geared up ready in your own fashion, too. You're basically saying, I'm going to defuse this, but I need you to have a weapon in your hands, right? That's fair. Um, but, but it is kind of the same mindset of, you know, having the ability to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you don't necessarily you, you you have yourself ready. Yes, you know, in case it's not necessarily right. an offensive move. Right, I, and, and to be fair, from what I understand it from the story that was said, is that they, they they they're rolling up. They're not to his door. He actually comes out the door first. Now, here's where we have our first big discrepancy between the two sides saying, "Well, they started it," and the side saying, "Well, they started it." So, the in the fish report. It was stated, of course, by the FBI's um, uh, or the ATF's final uh, report on it that uh, Branch Davidians opened fire, that there were two pops, and then from two pops, just a hail of gunfire on both sides, right? But the those that did survive Waco have said that the a, that the ATF absolutely fired first. And it would also be important to note that some people who've gone way more into this than we have, there were people who um, watched the initial siege, said that these guys rolling up were kind of holding their guns in a very inappropriate manner for being law enforcement. Like that their, their, you know, their trigger finger was on the trigger. You know what I mean? Like, and granted, they are rolling up to, to take this place out, but basically saying that it's not impossible that with them running or them moving in that somebody could have accidentally misfired a weapon. But that could happen on either side. What I think is more likely, and the notes that I made was, directly speaking to the ATF's dog team, who was instructed to kill all dogs on site so they could not be released on them. Now, I thought that was also interesting because that's kind of a tie back to Ruby Ridge, which again, keep in mind, court hearings and all that stuff going procedures are taking place right now on that, I think nine months prior. Um... Which, so I just thought it was funny that, we, again, you're having a situation with a dog, which kind of, kind of ties back to um, Ruby Ridge. Um, and it does say that most believe, and it is widely believed, that the ATF did indeed fire the first shot. Now, uh, granted, that is, it is not inconclusive, right? It is not an absolute, but it is agreed on by most that the ATF absolutely fired the first shot. So some have hypothesized from that that, you know, perhaps these guys rolled up, took out the dogs, boom, boom, boom. And from that, somebody seen them shooting their dogs. It was like, you showing up good, you know, and then opened up on him. Either way, gunfire ensued. Um, and I think from that, uh, you also had, before we even get into that, we had the three helicopters who were used to survey from above. Um, all took fire once starting, sur- oh, excuse me, all took fire once everyone started shooting. David was hit in the stomach and hand within the first minute. So, I mean... I, he was basically hit immediately, which is portrayed pretty well. In the, again, it, go back and watch the Waco Netflix series. It, that basically is what happens. He comes out, and he says, and I think they even said that, and I didn't write this down, but the ETF even reported that he said, we've got women and children in here. He did say that. 
and he puts his hands up and then the fire starts and once the firing starts right like i mean i feel like it, it probably um what's the word i'm looking for when you when you're you're amped up what's that mother trucker adrenaline i think thank you adrenaline is pumping hard on both sides right now so once the firing started i think it was just open open game at that point am i i mean we, we all say that people wouldn't but i feel like it was probably just open game at that point you're just shooting at whoever's moving um and it, that's basically what what happened and then within the first minute we had a, a gentleman named wayne martin called the 911 from inside the compound um, and we do actually have that audio clip, which I can, here, I'll pull that up for you. Uh, we'll, well, I'm not going to play the whole thing. We will post the show links again, scroll down. If you want to listen to the whole thing, I think the, uh, the actual phone call itself lasted 30 minutes, but the, this audio version is cut down about 13 minutes, just when the actual talking's taking place. And I'm not going to play that. I'll, I'll probably pay maybe the first minute here if that. Okay. So Micah, let me pull this up for you. And this will again, hit on just how much confusion seemed to be coming from the FBI side of things too far as they're not being any clear indication that they knew this was coming. Was so the ATF, not the FBI. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did I say the FBI? I'm so, I apologize. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I'm talking while I'm doing this. So here we go. Oh, hang on. It would help if I press the play button. All right, here we go. 911, what's your emergency? There are men, 75 men around our building. Okay, just, at us. just a moment. Just Lynch. Hello? Hello? There's 75 men circling. Hello? 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 Yeah, this is Lieutenant Lynch. May I help you? Yeah, there are 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel? Yeah, tell them there are children and women in here and to call it off. All right, all right. Uh, hello? I hear gunfire. Oh, shit. Wayne, tell me how you are. I have a right to defend myself. They started firing first. Okay, well, let's resolve it. Let's not, let's resolve this, Wayne, before someone gets hurt. Okay? I'm trying to make contact with the forces outside. Okay? Okay! Alright. I don't hear any gunfire. Are you okay? No more! Okay. Is anybody in there with you hurt, Wayne? Okay. There was a man screaming! Okay, a man's hurt. Alright. Another chopper with more people and more guns going on. Here they come. All right, Wayne, tell... More firing. That's not us. That's them. Okay, that, all right. Are you... We want a free fire. We'll talk. All right, okay. We'll talk when they stop firing. All right. With Wayne? Right here. Okay, we're working on it, so just hang, hang loose. Do not return fire, Wayne, okay? Just kind of hold what you got till we get the situation settled and, you, and you're willing to talk to them? Yeah. Will you visit with them? Yeah! Okay, all right, we'll get you someone to talk to here in just a second. No, Mitch! Yeah. I gotta pass the word! What? I have to pass the word! Okay, start passing the word. Okay, so we have some of the audio there, which we'll probably move around a little bit, Micah, just because, again, it's 13 minutes. There is another spot specifically that I would love to play on there, or we'll just add it into the editing, and I'll tell you what happened. So from what you could hear from there, right off the bat, 
the sheriff had no no clue, right? He, he he's basically trying to figure out who's on the phone with him. He's trying to figure out who what's going on, and then he also it sounds like once he's because Wayne Martin is my assumption is in the background shooting. You can kind of hear the first initial gunshots, and then we'll hopefully I'll put some editing together that you guys will hear a little more when he comes back and he started discussing with the sheriff saying that's them shooting because the sheriff's telling him at one point. I don't know if I can find it for us just to play it to say, you know, he's trying to tell them, stop shooting. You have to stop shooting for me to be able to get involved here. You've got to stop shooting. And, and uh, Wayne actually says, on there, he, he says, that's them shooting. That's not us. We've stopped shooting and they're still shooting. And he starts saying, we have a right, you know, as you heard in the audio clip there, we have a right to defend ourselves. This isn't right. You know, and basically saying we have women and children. And then the sheriff, you know, also is trying to get them on. The, he's trying to figure out who to even get a hold of. And so he's trying to call out there to get a hold of the FBI. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know how you felt listening to that, but is that not, like, somewhat terrifying? Because, like, who do you call? If you're calling, like, you're basically calling 911 on itself, right? Kind of? Do you feel? I mean, uh, that's, he said 75 guys are on the house. I don't think that's right. I think the initial report said that, I don't know if it was 75 guys. I think it was like no, 16. There, there was, no, wasn't it? there was around 70. Was there really? Agents. Yes. Holy crap. I didn't realize it was that many on the initial raid. So they were like ready. This was yes, not a. This was like a full blown. I would. I mean, I don't know what you think of when you hear a group of 75 guys. Well, 75 I mean, guys are 70, well armed. 70 something uh, individuals that were part of that raid. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of like a small army. I mean, there's yeah. no other way to put it. Oh yeah. Um, 75 guys armed well and knowing send, what they're going to do can do a lot of damage. Um, but through, through this process, there was, um, since we, we've kind of already jumped in it, the, by the end, it, the, the shooting itself lasted for several hours. Yeah. I, so yeah, I, it took um, over two hours, this gunfight raged. two hours. That's insane. I, I do have another note. It did say that within 45 minutes, the shooting slowed as the ATF ran low on ammo, um, which is... Now, here's one interesting note I want to point out real quick, and I'll let you take over. So, when the shooting slowed down, while the sheriff was still on the phone with him, trying to facilitate a, a ceasefire, the ATF says in their report that Sheriff Hartwell was able to do that. They, they called a ceasefire. But Sheriff Hartwell, Hartwell himself says afterwards in a, in a, a new in a, uh, interview that he gave, says the ATF did not stand down until they ran out of ammo. So he's saying, listen, these guys, I was trying to get them to stand down, and they did not stand down until they ran out of ammunition. That was his take on it. And that's somebody who's in the law enforcement for the local area there, the sheriff. Yeah, that's my that's, understanding was the whole reason why they, the, the gunfight stopped was because they had ran out of ammo. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm sure if you went there with the idea that this was going to be a raid, um, you brought plenty of ammo, you know, ammo with you. I'm well, sure yeah, you each, what, 45 guy... minutes where nobody was, they said they need to start running low to 45 minutes. I mean that you 45 minutes of slinging lead, especially That's if you have time. automatic firearms, which I'm sure right. they did. I'm sure they, I'm sure they pumped thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds into that building. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the the several hours of, or well, at least a few hours of this gunfight, there were uh, six total um, dead on the Davidian side. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have their names, and I did have a page that was pulled up that I I, I could I could I'm sure I, I do could have them for you. I do have the the five Davidians that were killed were uh, Winston Blake. Five? I thought there was well, six. Well, it turns into six. It made the end of the first day. So in that initial raid, it was five. Um, it was uh, Winston Blake, Peter Grant, Peter Hipsman, Perry Jones, J. Dean Wendell. Uh, two of them were actually put down at the hands of the Davidians to be put out of their misery, which is depicted in the in the show as well. So they were suffering, and obviously they couldn't get out, so they were asked to be put down. Which the one happened to be um, the father of the two main ladies, the two sisters that are married to David, and the the post office guy, the postal guy who showed up. That was their dad. Um, I don't remember the name of the which one he was right off the top of my head. It might have been Perry Jones, but. Yeah, so it, just to be clear, that was what happened on the, the Davidian side. And we'll we'll get into the last guy in a minute here. Um, but if you, yeah, uh, you do have the, are you going to get into the... I do have the, the names of the, okay. the ATF agents. Uh, and there was there was four um, dead. I believe there was 16 wounded. That's why uh, I was thinking ATF it was 16. ATF agents. That's so special. Uh, I, I wrote that so long ago. Yeah, it was 16 that were wounded. Yeah, I believe okay. it was 16 wounded, four dead. Uh, there was Robert uh, Williams, Todd McKeehan, Stephen Willis, and Conway LeBlue. LeBlau. Yeah. Um, oh, were the four would... ATF agents that were, were killed. It was uh, actually six hours after the 11.30 a.m. ceasefire, too, that... Uh, uh, Oops, did I flip to the wrong page? I did. How do I keep doing it? I even wrote it down so I wouldn't mix my pages up. Uh, so, six hours. Yeah, and they arrived at uh, 9.45. So, it was not quite two hours, it sounds like, if the ceasefire was at 11.30. Yeah. So, it was six hours after the ceasefire, Michael Schroeder was shot dead by the ATF agents. Um, the ATF said they opened fire with, or said that he opened fire with a pistol trying to get into the compound to be with his wife and kid. Branch Davidians say he was just mowed down trying to sneak back in. Um, so the story on him was he was in town working at the Mad Bag and I was either coming back home, I would be my assumption, or maybe he even heard about the shooting, um, that was going on. Uh, and trying to get it does sound like the ATS that he showed up to the checkpoint stop and they were like sorry turning you away right because we can't let anybody in and then it does sound like that from there he tried to sneak back on but the ATF says that he opened fire on them whereas the branch of Indians say that he was mowed down which is also depicted in the show as well um, if you watch that so yeah so by the end of the first day you have six branch Davidians dead um, two that ended up being put down by their own people, and you have four ATF agents who also have passed away. And if you watch the videos on this stuff, of them actually like putting the ladders on the on the the roof, and when they climbed into the building, I mean those guys got shot and killed on live TV. This was all, and that was the other part I wanted to get into is the the, the reporter who's there is videoing this now, and you also did have the, the obviously the helicopter footage, but that guy ended up being the reason the sheriff was able to even get through from him having a phone the at i believe it was the atf actually was the one that told him to call back and then he ended up getting through to the sheriff but he was videoing some of the stuff and, and you know it has been kind of noted that it was a total defeat on the atf's part based on what they thought was going to happen and then walking away with you know 16 guys wounded and four dead and 
no closer to making this thing end in a, in a clean manner at all. So that is the end of day one in a nutshell, unless there's something you want to add to that. Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, basically after that, uh, shortly after the FBI, um, came on the scene and they basically took command, um, they mm-hmm. kind of kicked the ATF, uh, out of the situation more or less. Um, and there was a gentleman named, uh, Jeff Jamar, which was the head of the bureau in San Antonio. And he was the one that took charge of the actual um, site. And then the FBI also had the HRT that showed up, which was the hostage rescue team, which was also the same group used at Ruby Ridge. Oh, yeah, because it was um, Richard Rogers, right? That's that guy. Yes. Yeah. And it was commander of Richard Rogers. Uh, yeah, Richard Rogers. Um, and it was my understanding that the FBI itself wanted to uh, more or less kind of wait them out. And the mm, HRT yeah. was gung-ho about mm-hmm. getting in there, taking people out, getting as many hostages is the way that they looked at it um, out well, as they could. It almost seems like, too, that there was a ends up becoming at least a rift like you're saying clearly between yeah, it was the atf and the fbi and then even within the own fbi you had the hostage rescue team or i'm sorry sorry what uh, would be the negotiator yeah which um, would be the negotiators and then you would no, also have no they were not the, H- oh, so the hrt was basically the fbi's uh brute force they were they're the guys that go in get crap done that's and right they were the actual uh there was 25 fbi negotiators um that worked you know a separate division than the hrt that was their plan was basically to try to end it in a, as peaceful way as possible right because um, they did say uh, uh far as speaking to richard rogers um they said as you know, at Ruby Ridge, Rogers often overrode the site commander at Waco and had mobilized both blue and gold HRT tactical teams to the same site, which ultimately created pressure to resolve the situation tactically due to the lack of HRT reserves. So I guess I, I stand corrected. This guy is definitely more gearing up for War Two. He's not actually trying to negotiate this. Yeah, and, and I don't think there's any way you can't say that there was um, people gearing up for war. Uh, I mean, there was... If you okay, so there was almost my understanding. There were almost nine hundred personnel that showed up uh, to wait. Once this gets going, yeah. Um, now, that, I mean that that is an army. There's no way you can you can throw that any other way. Um, I guess there were there were nine Bradley fighting vehicles. Um, let's see, they had uh, they had combat engineer vehicles. Five of those. Uh, yeah, the which are basically is basically a tank. Um, the Bradley fighting vehicle is exactly a tank. It's a, it's a smaller. They removed the tank. firing it's, mechanism um, though, right? Like it doesn't have the I operation. Doubt that. No, I doubt okay. that. These, I mean, they were they were there for. I mean, this was war on drugs. These are these are this is, uh, this is army vehicles. Do, right? Like this is yeah. not. Um, and I mean, like they, they were not playing around so it's oh. really hard for uh it's really hard for me to to 
take uh, their word for it when they're like, well, you know, the it's the Branch Davidians, they just wouldn't come out. I mean, like, I, th- I feel like it would be extremely uh, intimidating that there are helicopters buzzing over your mm-hmm. facility on a very, yeah. very regular basis. There's tanks chilling out there. I mean, there's an encampment outside yeah. of your compound. Well, and let's um, let's be clear, too, if we back up just the hair to the end of the first day, actually, because David almost died. Um, from our understanding, there was a point where they weren't sure he was going to make it. And his right-hand guy, my God, why do I keep forgetting this guy's name? I want to say it was Steve. Mike, we should probably look that up. Maybe just type in right-hand man of David Koresh at Waco. Um, he was the guy that was from, the, was you and I Steve, talked about last episode. Steve, um... I can't remember his last name. They were from uh, Wisconsin, right? It was the one he couldn't get pregnant, and then Koresh got his wife pregnant. Anyways. Yeah, and I confused him with, with David, but uh, yeah, Steve, I know it's an S. Well, anyways, at the, at the very first, right, uh, the Davidians had telephone contact with the local news media, and Koresh gave phone interviews. So this was in the first day, once he kind of regained some consciousness and strength, he, he did that. The FBI cut Davidian communication to the outside world for the next 51 uh, days. Steve Schrader, Schneider, Schneider, I think it's we'll Schneider. We'll say Schneider. Okay, so Steve Schneider. Um, communication with those uh, inside was by telephone by a group of 25 FBI negotiators. Excuse me. Uh, the final Justice Department report found that the negotiators criticized the tactical commanders for undercutting negotiations, meaning they would come to a conclusion or some sort of an agreement. And then, like you're talking about, he found out, and I can't remember, I should have it pulled up right now, too, the main guy who's depicted in the show really well, um, the main FBI uh, negotiator. Uh, yeah, I, also I actually Ridge, found right? out that uh, that gentleman was actually not there nearly as long as the show. The show is very inaccurate at certain portions. Yeah, uh, and I understand it's for like telling, fiction based telling, on, uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, for for telling the story, I'm sure having him there the whole time was mm-hmm. was good. But from my understanding, he was actually only there for 20, 21 days, 22 days, something well, like he that. He got kicked out, basically. Um, yes, more or less. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't there for the entire uh, process. Right, but I'm um, saying I don't, I don't even think it was like him saying he wanted to leave. Like, I, I, and we'll get into this. It sounds like there was a rift between the HRT. I'm sorry. The, yeah, the HRT, the, the hostage rescue team, and then his negotiators basically being like, you guys are taking too long. And we cannot negotiate with terrorists, basically, that kind of idea. And you're not getting your job done, so goodbye. Which, <clears throat> when you talk about undercutting stuff, like he was talking about, and if we give a few, just just a few examples of this. Mike, Mike has already set up. Picture you're on the inside. There's literally an entrenchment all around you now. The military has cut, like, I think they had cut the water and everything. They were maintaining the telephone line at this time, but they'd cut almost everything else to them, right? Which they didn't have much anyways. But they're entrenched around them. And then they would have the helicopters would buzz the uh, buzz the building and stuff. Like, what was the point in that? Like, the guy was saying, too, he was like, hey, I'm trying to negotiate with these people, and you're out here yeah. with your, your helicopters playing war, as they it were, to try that. and... They... I'm pretty sure they, they were also, moving like, people. They were did you hear about that? Vehicles and that kind of stuff. They um, went beyond with, that. With their they, tanks. This is the one thing that I was like, "Holy crap!" So they were mooning people, flipping people off, and again, 
Not a very professional way to handle your business, but you know what? You think you're at war or whatever your justification is, but this one I thought was too far. They were taking the tanks, so you're saying smashing the cars, but it said at one point they repeatedly kept driving over the graveyard. And the, the fresh grave of one Branch Davidian, I can't remember which one it was. It was the father of the two daughters that are married to, to, to Crush, who was buried, who David in the show goes out and buries. I don't know if that actually actually happened, but he was buried, and they were repeatedly driving the tank over his like burial site. That's pretty messed up. That doesn't seem like you're that doesn't seem like you're facilitating some sort of a path that we can come to an agreement of. You know what, you're decent people, we're decent people, let's just Let's close this out. You know what I mean? I mean, I just... again, I, I don't think if if your intentions are to end this in a peaceful manner, you don't show up with 900 personnel. <laughs> you just don't. You don't bring in Probably nine not. tanks for small arms. Like, that's just not, that's yeah. not how you do it. And, I, I mean, more, I guess even those, those are more or less, um, uh, tanks as well. So you had fourteen tanks uh, there. Like, it sounds like too in the very beginning, ridiculous. though, because it, it does say, excuse me, in the first few days, the FBI believed they had made a breakthrough when they negotiated with Koresh an agreement that the Branch Davidians would peacefully leave the compound and return for a message recorded by Koresh, being broadcasted on national radio. Uh, and that was a real thing that took place. The broadcast was made, but Koresh then told negotiators that God had told him to remain in the building and, I quotation marks, wait. So, despite this, soon afterwards, interviewed by uh, negotiators managed to facilitate the release of 19 children, ranging in ages from 5 months to 12 years old, without their parents. However, 98 people remained in the building. The children were then interviewed by the FBI and Texas Rangers for some hours at a time. Allegedly, the children had been physically and sexually abused long before their standoff. This was key. I'm sorry. This was the key justification offered by the FBI both to President Bill Clinton and to Attorney General Janet Reno for launching tear gas attacks to force the Branch Davidians out of the compound, which will come later. So right from the get-go, that happened. And I think you talked about, are these some of the children that had made the drawings and the disturbing singing and all that stuff? Uh, they had released 19 children that they had interviewed and that kind of stuff. Um, and they had kept and, and watched for, you know, like during this entire siege. Yeah. Uh, which... Uh, lasted for 51 days. So they had plenty of... I mean, we're talking like weeks that they had these kids. Um, yeah. And it, it said that these children ranged from 5 months to 12 years old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they used that... Yeah, they did use um, what the children talked about, the way they sang, all that kind of stuff, their drawings and stuff. Um as part of the justification for some of the actions that they took, um, as well as, as you just said, the, the tape that they played over the radio, mm -hmm. and then he reneged on it. Um, yeah, because that was supposed to be like a se the opening of the Seven Seals kind of deal, right? The, the final message um, from the sinful Messiah. I like the part, too, with him going on the radio. That... <laughs> 
<laughs> Could you imagine listening to the radio back then and that guy just bringing up, uh, <laughs> you're on the radio, let's go, David Koresh, here we go. You know, like, literally on the inside of the compound talking about this. So this was also getting leaked out beyond what the FBI could contain. It does say, too, then the FBI sent in, like, the videos and stuff to kind of try and, again, this is negotiators we're talking about, trying to relate to them, showing them, hey, here's our family. Here's, you know, we're people, yeah. right? We're not the same as the guys yeah. that the FBI... Um, tactical team i do apologize i I was reading so when if you asked me if the children that that were in the video were the children that they were that they were the fbi was talking to no um a lot of those children that he introduced were either his children wives um or his direct children um most of those children that appeared in those videos were a lot of them claim to have um fathered or, or were mothers to children that David had fathered and that kind of stuff. So most of the children were either his direct kids or his children spouse bullcrap thing that he had going on. Um, and that was basically, that was his family. But yes, they, they, they the negotiators did send in like pictures and stuff yeah. of their kids and, Which and whatnot. These guys to responded like, uh, to. God, it's yeah. Dang, I know it's different, right? When it's right in front of your face, it is way different. It's, it's, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah. Which which they did respond to. They they responded far as uh, they did. I think this was day eight. Is that what it says? Yeah, on March eighth. Which so when did this attack? February twenty eighth. So we're talking what two weeks later, roughly, give or take. I mean, my math might be a little bit off on that, but not quite um, two weeks actually. March probably eighth. February twenty yeah, eighth to March eighth. I mean, you only have twenty nine days, so that was, or it was on the twenty eighth. Yeah. So that's that's like, you know, that's eight. That's insane. Just under two weeks. Yeah. No. It's, but anyway, it's like just over a week. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But you're it right. does I'm say sorry. on day nine, yeah. March eighth. So yeah, that was. That's when they sent out the the their message basically back to them, you know, showing that they were there and that there was no hostages. Everybody was there under their their own free will, basically. Um, so that nobody nobody was being held. However, I'll add a note to that. It has been stated by those that survived that if someone wanted to leave, they had to have a sit-down with David, like an exit interview. And uh, it sounds like he guilt-tripped guilt the crap actually, out of them. From some of the research I was doing, it did sound like David did not allow anybody to leave. And, well, it, was and that's... Not, it was not – they were not there necessarily at their own – like – I would say they That's were where you very get into the religious part being, of it, right? It's like, are they, they being, being brainwashed? Yeah, they were being held by something. Um, right. But he wasn't actually at gunpoint, I guess is what reason. I'm saying. Like, hey, you try to run, we're going to put one in you. It did sound like he was very much. Really? Um, I didn't know that. I, I don't know that he was going to kill anybody, but it did sound like he did force several people to stay on the compound and that, that they were not allowed to leave. Right. And, and I think, too, in the just the idea of an exit interview, I'm sure that he was like, you know, this is the end days. I told you, dumb tanks. Like, I'm sure he made it that way. Like, you want to walk away from God and glory and everything that's coming? You be my guest. But just know you're going to go to hell. Like, I feel like that's how he probably, you know what I mean? And, and guilt trip them into that version of it. But it could have very well been a physical. Um, and, and I think anybody who's maybe been sexually abusing um, younger people anyways, yeah, in that matter, you, you are essentially, but in the sense of a gun to their head, it sounds like there's no definitive evidence on that. Am I wrong in saying that or no? I, I yeah, I, I don't think he necessarily threatened anybody's life. Um, yeah, 
I, I believe it was, I know you sent me that interview with uh, David Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was listening to another podcast that he was on, and I'm pretty sure I, if I might be wrong about that, and I might still have the podcast, I might, I might send it to you after this if you, if you're interested. Okay. Um, but I believe it was David Thibodeau that that was talking about that, um, and he, he, if I, if I remember correctly, and I, I might have that wrong, um, but he said that that they were not necessarily free to leave. Um, but yeah. that many of them, you know, regardless, because uh, he he did share that he did not much care for Ooh, David no. Koresh. No, no, he did no. not have a very good uh, personal opinion of David Koresh, but he did no. feel like he was um, well, not necessarily of... divine, but he had a, a divine mm-hmm. gift of of. Uh, I guess translating uh, the word of God from the Bible to um, to people, and then that, that for some reason that really just drove devotion from the people that he you know had following him to to even death. Yeah. Um, so I... that, and that again, that's pretty much from my understanding that that the way that they raise their children and stuff yeah. and listening to some of the, the children that survived to talk about it. Um, that, that, I mean, that was, that was basically the plan. Like they, they trained them to, uh, get to the point where like this was going to happen and everyone was going to die. And, right. With the whole jump, and, don't even ask how high and just comply. Right. Don't think, just do more or less. And then, yeah. and then like I, I said with the, ep- the last episode, um, the, the children that they interviewed and that kind of stuff, they, they had drawings of the compound that they had in flames. They had songs about all of them dying. Um, mm. and then they, they very flat out talked about how they were going to, um, I, I, I don't remember the exact quote, uh, but it was basically that, that they had said that they were going to, uh, kill the the people that had shown up, but they were also going to die in the process, and that these these children were very like nonchalant about it, like it didn't yeah. bother them, like it was just something that they grew up with. They knew that like when they came out, it was nineteen children that they released, um, and those children were released without their parents, and it was basically like the children all knew that they were never going to see their parents again, and they were like they were okay with that. Um, so it was, it was very, uh, I think if, if that's not tainted at all by the FBI or, um, you know, anything like that, uh, I think that would, that would be very chilling to me to, to mm-hmm. hear a child, uh, there's always something creepy about, about a child like saying that. anything in a sober manner, something that's beyond the years where you're like, some darkness has gotten to you. Right. Cause that's one of the, uh. The endearments about a child is that the, the, there's that innocence, right? That they're they're still untainted in ways sometimes from life beating the crap out of you or you just being exposed to real things. And to have a child, you know, each of us both have younger children. Could you imagine either one of our two children just drawing pictures of themselves? Bur- like if, if one of your daughters came up to you and had a picture of your house burning with you guys and says, you know, 
that she's been dreaming about this, that gets creepy. That gets instantly yeah. freaking creepy. Just because you're like, Mother Trucker. I mean, I know it's not rational, but what the French toast, man? Like, where the French yeah, toast I mean, is that it coming makes from? You, it makes you, yeah, it makes you question as to, like, what, what put that into your kid's head? Yeah. Why are they dreaming about this? You know, like, um, one, so, yeah. One thing I want to add, too, that I thought was interesting is that the, uh, the negotiator's log showed that when the tape was reviewed, there was concern that the tape's release to the media would gain sympathy for Koresh and the Branch Davidians. This is referring to the video that was released by them, showing, hey, here's our, you know, so the FBI does it, then Koresh and them respond. So uh, videos also showed the 23 children still inside the compound and child care professionals on the outside prepared to take care of those children as well as the previous 19 released. Excuse me. As the siege continued, Koresh negotiated more time allegedly so that he could write religious documents that needed to be completed before surrendering. His converse him excuse me. His conversations, dense with biblical imagery, alienated the federal negotiators, meaning they were getting pissed off about it, who treated the situation as a hostage crisis among themselves. The negotiators teams took to calling these uh basically but they they label it as Bible babble. <laughs> That's how they took it. It was just like, it doesn't make sense, everything he's saying and coming to. Um, do you want to hit on the two factions where we, we have the split in the FBI, and this is where I think they have a major issue, if you want to read on that a little bit or, or give your two cents? I mean, this is this is kind of when they they really... <clears throat> oh, yeah, this gets into what you were talking about, the tanks. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead and, yeah, uh, go ahead and hit where some they of got very apparent to be two different sides, mm -hmm. um, the HRT being one, and the negotiators uh, being the other, where they believed that they could eventually talk them out, you know, seeing as they had already talked them into allowing 19 children out, um, they believed that they could, uh, you know, that was kind of a sign of, of good faith or whatever, and even though he was being very uncooperative um, and, and he was reneging on what he said he was going to do, they still yeah. believed that negotiating was the best tactic, whereas the HRT obviously did not. They were very much like, let's just get this done um, and, you know, basically go go in with a hail of gunfire. Well, and, this is when, you, like you were saying, the HRT was, was rolling up with the armored vehicles used to destroy the, you know, perimeter right. fencing, anything that they, they deemed that could be used as cover, right? Crushing all the cars belonging to the Branch Davidians, armored vehicles repeatedly drove over the grave. Here it is. I, I did have, I, they have the name here, uh, the grave of Branch Davidian Peter Gent, despite protests by the Branch Davidians and negotiators. So I find it interesting, obviously the negotiators, that's pretty easy for them to be like, dude, that's messed up. But it's interesting that they say the Branch Davidians, perhaps through the phone call, perhaps what they mean, because they still have the phone at this time. So, um, yeah, there's that. And then, then <clears throat> um, like with, with, uh, with the HRT, they decided that not necessarily going in immediately, but they decided to try to increase uh, pressure on the Davidians to come out. Um, mm -hmm. And they they employed uh, stuff to to cause sleep deprivation. Oh um, yeah, and then they That's also obviously they had already cut like the power and all that kind of crap. That so the Davidians were pretty much they were living off of. Uh, stockpiled MREs, which um, old MREs were disgusting. Yeah. There's not really another way to put that. And rainwater. And that was their biggest things. And the reason that they were living off of rainwater was because of, uh, I guess they had several silos that were um, attached to the building. 
Yeah, the and they storage had been, for the water, right? Yeah, and they had been yeah. damaged during that initial ATF raid, um, so they were no longer working for them, or they the water drained out from bullet holes or something, and so they were living off of rainwater and MREs. Um, so obviously everyone was being rationed, and then uh, when the HRT decided to implement uh sleep deprivation they started doing all night broadcasts yeah which uh, recordings which william's gonna get to in yeah. a moment uh he has yeah, a we'll short clip of what it actually sounded like uh, but a description of it is a broadcast of uh recordings of jet planes pop music chanting and the scream of rabbits being slaughtered um so yeah. it's it's something that they they played very loudly and mm. they with the intent to keep them from sleeping. Yeah, and I'm just going to warn you, it, it is going to be, it could be a little bit loud, so maybe if you have your, you may want to turn down just a little bit, and if you're easily disturbed well, I'm by... I'm sure I can balance that. that yeah, well, I'm just letting you know, if you're easily loud, disturbed but... by disturbing sounds, or it will bother you, maybe skip ahead by like 20 seconds. Um, but here is what was being played out of them incessantly. And this was, from my understanding, without cease, right? We're talking, I don't, I don't think it gave an exact amount of days, but in the show it depicts it as going on for like literally a week and a half, two weeks or more. Of just nonstop uh, music or this audio. I don't want to call it music. I'm just going to play it. Here we go. Let's go ahead and play it. Okay, that's enough of that bullcrap. That is 21 seconds, and that is about what I... 22 seconds. That's about the max I can do. Holy crap. Yeah, so that's playing nonstop. Again, uh, not really a great way to facilitate this whole easy exit and, and, and keep a person in a clear mind thinking. I mean, if you're... you're, you're I get that the idea is that if you... Uh, if they have sleep deprivation, then they won't clearly think and it'll be easier to persuade, but then they're also going to be like less of a rational human being and you're continually playing into their apocalyptic dream as it were, or their vision that they've had. I feel that you're only more reinforcing that. Um, that is just God awful. That amount of, uh, I, I almost said music again. That audio is awful. That's the only word to have yeah, for it. That is, especially uh, like there's still children and stuff, and this isn't all just David Koresh. This you know you still have American citizens in here. It's a, it's Let's we're we're losing of sight of that a little bit. There is what roughly ninety seventy eight to ninety people in here right now. Uh, Somewhere in there between yeah, seventy and ninety. I, I, I can't remember the exact amount. Point being, there's a lot of uh, people yeah, in there besides just the guy that you're after. Let those nineteen children out. Fair to be fair. Those people could just walk out. Now, children, it's a different story. They can't always make their choices for themselves, but adult could make a decision to just walk out. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, keep, keep, keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted you with that, uh, with that um, audio there. So it, it also, uh, Koresh did end up ordering a group of followers to leave. I don't know if it was people that just uh, were kind of fed up with it and they just wanted out. Yeah, maybe there was a get to be. There might have been getting to be a group of people that were like, maybe we should just leave. And he was like, you know what? That's gonna. I don't want uh, that cancer to spread. Yeah. Send them out. Sure. <laughs> uh, but it was eleven people that ended up leaving. Um, they were all arrested as material witnesses, and one of them were 
was charged with conspiracy to murder. Now, I don't understand quite, like, how do they associate a conspiracy to, like, did, did you just remember that that person <laughs> shot at you and you didn't see the other people shoot at I you? I don't know why they or, picked like, that one. I don't know. It seems a little like a little unfair to pick one guy out unless you like very openly saw him shooting at you. Yeah. Um, or a previous. And it also or said that I... the the children's willingness to stay with Koresh disturbed the negotiators, um, and that they uh, were unprepared to work around the Branch Davidians' religious zeal. Um, so. My guess would also be that uh, I guess the children were aware that like the previous group that had been sent out, the 19 children, um, mm-hmm. I don't know that they were all sent out at the same time. I think it was a couple here and there. Well, they um, were released in, and we kind of forgot to mention this, they were released under the, here's what was going on. It was so stressful that the, the mothers could not produce milk. And so because of that, they asked for milk to be given to them by the FBI, and I don't even think it was a lot of milk. I, I want to say in the show it shows maybe like four gallons or eight gallons or something. We're not even talking about a, much, a bunch of milk here. We're talking in, the, in the, the range of freaking 70 to 90 people. But um, the only reason the FBI kind of agreed to that was, listen, you give up kids, we'll give you some milk, and they bugged the milk. I don't know if you read on that or not. That's, if you yep, had... that's true. Um, but that, that was late. It comes in very important later. Uh, mm-hmm. But from my understanding, uh, according to David Thibodeau, they were very aware of the bugs. Yeah. And when you think about it, how do, you, all... how do you bug milk? Like, how do you... Well, I'm sure it was in a carton or something, you know. Maybe. And I, from Baby. my understanding, they had they had supplied them with a few other things. I don't, I don't think yeah. it was only milk. Um, but he said that they had put all the bugs in one closet or something like that. Yes. Yeah, they put them um, in a and, separate And later on, it, it, it's very relevant Yes. Um, so, regardless, um, they they knew that the the groups that had gone out the that the adults had you know were arrested and the children were separated from them, and they didn't want to be separated uh, from adults that kind of stuff. And I believe um, actually well, some of David's actual children, um, when there was negotiators talking to them about about the kids that had been let out they offered like i heard i I heard the uh the actual um speech i don't have it uh, or not speech but uh conversation um and one of the negotiators was talking to one of uh david's sons trying to get him to come out and uh was talking about how the other kids were out there and they they got candy and stuff and he told him he would let him ride on the tank and mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of other stuff. And, and basically the kid said that uh, he didn't want to be let out unless um, he would be with his grandmother. Yeah. Uh, which I can't remember her name was like. Well, and that's the thing, too. you got to remember oh, at this yeah, point in time, like we're, we're also getting a bunch of people who've shown up to the outskirts of the property um, family members, even, and, and then just people in the area, also people who are sympathetic in some ways um, or just concerned with the actions that are taking place. And the FBI also, to be clear about this, totally denied. Like that audio I played you a few minutes ago where it was like torturing them. They were, because they were given almost like nightly or weekly interviews or um, uh, what do you want to call it? Press conferences and local press conferences. And they, and they were flat out called out on it one time in one of the interviews or one of the reporters asked him the question saying, are you torturing them? Are there torture tactics in place right now? And he was like, no, that's not true. But 
they couldn't get close enough to absolutely prove it, but they could see between the lights running all night. Because on top of them playing that audio music, they had spotlights. They were just running through the building, right? So they were trying to light the place up and just disrupt them as much as they could. So this is you have another instance where they flat out lied again. No, we're not doing that. That's not happening. And and it was absolutely happening. And, and it finally came out later on. But I'm just saying that that was not the, the fact that they sat there and completely lied about that. Um Anyways, I'm sorry if you want to you want to keep going here. I, I apologize. No, I actually uh, I was just uh, coming across something I actually did not uh, read, um, but it says the number of, of scholars who studied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm gonna butcher this word. Apocalism. Apocalyptism. Apocalyptism. I'm gonna let you butcher that word. Uh, I'm gonna think uh, it's, it's like apocalypse, groups. but apocalyptism. So yeah. Um. In religious groups attempted to persuade the FBI that siege tactics being used by the government agents would only reinforce the impression uh, with the Davidians that they were part of the biblical end of times confirmation that had cosmic significance. And this would likely increase the chances of a violent and deadly outcome. The religious scholars pointed out that the beliefs of the group may appear to be extreme, but that the Davidians... Branch Davidians, uh, their religious beliefs were deeply meaningful, and they were willing to die for them. Which I will admit is scary. Almost anybody who's truly religious or truly believes in whatever they believe in usually is willing to die for whatever they believe in. And, and you know what? I guess if you're going to believe in something, you should believe in it. But that is one of the scary things about when you can get into extreme religionism or religious cults or sects is that most of them are willing to die for what they believe in. And that can be a scary thing. Um, oh, sorry. I, I thought you were going to keep going there. I, I, I know I jumped in. I interrupted. I'm sorry. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> um, I just want to put one other thing really quick that we didn't cover and before we get to keep going here is that when we talked about the, the, the divide, because I, I don't feel that this gave a great insight. We, we have a little bit of a skit that we're reading along <clears throat> with and then we're plugging our own information. When they talk about there being a little bit of a riff or a split, it was an extreme rift and split. Um, there was some the, the guy that was actually the head of the negotiation tactics team. I, I, I don't have his name pulled up in front of me, but he wrote a book later on, giving like a memoirs of his many hostage negotiation situations. Besides Waco, but specifically hit on Waco, talking about it got to the point where the HRT guys, basically the the, the brute force guys, would not even sit with the negotiators. Nothing. They were like becoming two separate cults in and of themselves they, they were saying the negotiator said that even using the outhouses that there would be le- like nasty notes written for them or left it by the hrt guys like this is getting to like that's like middle school level kind of crap right there you know what i mean like you're you're out there with people have lost lives have lost their lives there could be a possible continuation of lost lives and that's the approach you're taking with who's supposed to be your teammates and he flat out said and this was his exact words Excuse me, the HRT viewed the hostage negotiation team as pussies because we're here to talk things out. They're here to, you know, work it out one way or the other, Sonny, uh, even if that means me uh, putting a bullet in you if I need to. So, I mean, that was, you know, the, the last part there was me paraphrasing, but the, the initial part saying that they were viewed as pussies is a, a direct quote from him. So I just wanted that to be clear. There is a clear disconnect on this. You already had the disconnect with the local law enforcement. Then now you're having disconnect between your own individuals. This is where sometimes, and with some of the stuff that's going on in the nation right now, too, where people, and we're not going to go down that whole route, but 
this is where you start to see why some people feel the way they do. And why some people get so pissed off is because you have instances like this where there is, there's a cowboy in there. There's, there's the guy, Richard Rogers is running this show. I don't know who's trying to impress right now. He already knows they're under scrutiny. He already knows he screwed up at Ruby Ridge. He was able to throw the ATF under the bus that time and get away with it. But now it's going to be directly reported or, or, you know, the direct, literally, I want to say for sure the nation might even been around the world, but the nation's eye is on the situation. It's becoming a massive issue. I mean, I, I, I don't know what day we're at roughly in our timeline here, but we're, we're probably three weeks in, roughly, um, two, three um, weeks in. I mean, I mean it, I, it's it, after after April 19th. Okay. Well, it, it is important to note, because this is one of the things you were bringing up about those guys that were, like, experts in cults and stuff. Um, one week prior to the April 19th assault, the FBI planners considered using snipers to kill David Koresh and possibly other key Branch Davidians. The FBI voiced concerns that the Branch Davidians might commit mass suicide. And had as had happened in 1978 at Jim Jones uh, Jonestown. So Koresh had repeatedly denied any plans for mass suicide and confronted by negotiators during the standoff and people leaving the compound had not seen any such preparation. So I do have a question about the sniper thing. First of all, we didn't even hit at this from the very beginning of this when um, Rod, or I'm sorry, Rod Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez was warning them, hey, they know you're coming. That was one of the things he mentioned too is, the picking him up, like why not just pick this guy up if he's out running around and all this stuff? And they and I, I don't think we read it, but they they denied that allegation at one point in time too. They said it would have been too difficult. What do you mean it'd been too difficult? Or it wouldn't have been enough spotlight? Was another quote that had pointed that out too. Like, it was the last time we ever seen ATF pick somebody up out for jogging. Like oh that would have been too extreme. Pick somebody up while they're jogging. But you know what? Roll them tanks in there with helicopters. Let's go. That that seems that's the American way. I'll tell you right now. Anyways, I just wanted that out there. Oh, really quick, too. I don't remember what day it was, but I want to play this for you. So, you know how we played the audio of them literally playing all this, you know, audio of uh, just torture tactics, basically, in my opinion. They were basically torturing these people. Um, and <laughs> they managed to get their generator working, okay? And and then this is seen as depicted pretty accurate to what happened out there. And David gets the um, the excuse me the generator up and working so they can get a you know power back because all the electric's been cut and they were like they had roughly twenty to twenty five minutes worth of uh, power is what they were told they were going to have and his choice he literally said I know what we're going to do everybody meet in the chapel opens the window hangs out the window and decides to blast with himself and the band this song right here which I'm going to we're going to throw up for you for a second this is David Koresh ladies and gentlemen singing uh his version to them out there but I just this blows my mind that like this guy literally at just hangs out a window to the FBI to be like eh, suck it basically um but in my mind I'm like if he did that and you had these ideas about sniping. I'm like, why the French toast didn't you take the shot right then? Hindsight's 2020, but like, the guy's hanging out the window. Why didn't you take the shot, right? So, uh, anyways, here's the auto for what uh, he played hanging out his window.
Okay, that was a minute and 30 seconds of uh, David Crash, and that, that was a song that was played and sang. I believe they played a couple other ones, but that was the one he initially let out with. Like, And it's depicted pretty well how it happened in the show. A matter of fact, David Thibodeau uh, was actually playing the drums for him. He's a pretty accomplished drummer, hadn't been in bands most of his life. But yeah, he, they were literally like just hanging out that night. They've been playing all their you know tactics to basically shut them down and torture them, and he just hangs out the window and... Let's that sucker rip. But let's like my question is if you were going to snipe him, why didn't you take that moment? And I, I kind of think if they had, I, I think the rest of the group would have kind of fell apart after that. That's just my personal opinion. I, I mean, obviously, like we said, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I do feel that uh, they would have started to. Um, Steve, in particular. Um, I think his right-hand guy, he, I think, wanted to negotiate things out, you know, and he had talked with the hostage negotiators when David was kind of unconscious, when he was wounded, recovering initially, saying that, like, you know, there's just something about David, you know, but, like, he also obviously hated the guy. So, anyways, now that we got that out of the way, um, Mike, we're pretty much, we could get into a bunch of other details, but let's let's probably get to what the most important detail is here, which is the final assault uh, on Mount Carmel, if you're up for getting into that. Um, so really quick though, this is important to mention too. Um, well, let, actually, let's just jump right into it. Uh, cause this has to do with the, 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 at the time, what was her name? The attorney general, Janet Reno, right? The newly appointed U S uh, attorney over there approved recommendations by the FBI hostage rescue team to mount an assault after being told that conditions were deteriorating and that children were being abused inside the compound. That is also depicted really well in the show. Again, like we said, it, it, and David Thibodeau himself said that it, with the show, it's a great starter point for people to get interested in Waco because they got to understand that it's like a, a work of fiction based on true events. It, it's accurate, but like it's, it's, there's still, but there are parts like this scene, which was very accurate to actually what happened. Reid, Reno made the FBI case to President Clinton, uh, recalling on April 19th, 1985. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord, the CSAL siege in Arkansas, which was ended without loss of life by blockade without without a deadline so basically down there i guess there was an incident that took place and they they just basically blocked them off and never tried to do anything just starved them out or whatever the deal was down there president clinton suggested similar tactics against the branch davidians he was like hey, anybody got a cigar we just this <laughs> way all right i'm gonna i'm gonna stop with that's a terrible impression anyways okay um so he, he suggested similar tactics 
But he also told um, Counter the FBI hostage rescue team was tired of waiting. Oh, so she, Reno countered to him saying, well, the FBI hostage rescue team was tired of waiting. And that the standoff was costing million million dollars per week oh i'm sorry a million dollars per week and that the branch of yeah, could hold out longer you had than 900 personnel yeah. there <laughs> it doesn't cost that much if you didn't have an army standing outside oh my god yeah um i got a small army down there and it's costing me a million dollars a week bro so let's <laughs> see um, yeah, so she, basically that was her counter to him. And that the uh, Davidians the, could hold out longer? Yeah. Well, Which, oh, okay, okay, no, 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 no. They could hold out longer than the uh, the CSAL. Okay, she's referring to the other group, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, not longer than the U.S. government, but as the other group, yeah. Uh, and that the chances of sexual abuse and mass suicide were imminent. Clinton later recounted finally, I told her that if she thought it was the right thing to do, she could go ahead. Over the next several months, Reno, or Janet Reno's reason for approving the final gas attack varied from her initial claim that the FBI hostage rescue team had told her that Koresh was sexually abusing children and beating babies. The FBI hostage rescue team later denied evidence of child abuse during the standoff. Ooh. To her claim that Linda Thompson, unorganized military of the United States, was Militia. on the way... Militia, basically. I'm sorry. Thank you for that. Not basically. Yeah. You know, whatever. Okay. It's, yeah. Unorganized militia of the United States was on the way to Waco either to help Koresh or to attack him. I'm going to say more than likely they were on the way to help. Yeah, I'm going to say. I'm they just going to. That's just a me. Just a me. David Koresh. You know what? 900 doesn't seem like enough. They got three helicopters and tanks <laughs> and tear gas and everything <laughs> under God's green earth, but you know what? We're coming, son. This was similar to what happened at Ruby Ridge, too. Now, theirs was a little different as far as it wasn't just the militia that showed up. There was some militia, but there there seemed to be a lot more uh, white power supremacist neo-Nazi groups that showed up for them. Uh, but that, that area was specifically loaded down with them. So um, so anyway, so she she brought this up that, you know, um, that this could be something that could be going on. Uh, either to help or kill Crash. Yeah, the assault took place on April nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. So really quick before we go on on that, that sounds to me, and it's kind of depicted in the show that they flat out lied to her. The head of the HRT was like, "Listen," they gave her the initial report, and she was like, "This doesn't seem like enough." And then he was kind of like, "Yeah, well, you know, they're they're beating the babies. <sighs> Did you know that? You know, basically went that route." And and her not being there and trusting. You know, this guy's down there, boots on the ground. You got to lean on your your support team or those others around you. I'm not saying it's right that she proved this, but I also get it too. It's we're at day 51, right? If we want, if we want to go to the, well, the here, here's here's my opinion. This is ahead. this is approving a CS gas, uh, which is tear is, gas. Right. We need to be very clear about that. Um, I apologize. This is not this is not like um, a full assault or something. This was to to try and drive them out. CS gas in to get them to come out. Yeah, um, that was that is what we're talking about. This is what was proposed. Yep. Uh, so carry on. Okay. Um, the the assault took place in '93 because the branch of Indians were heavily armed. The FBI hostage rescue teams armed a 50 caliber. Right, or you know, they named the 12.7 millimeter rifles. Well, what's that 12.7 about, Micah? I mean, 
Oh, oh hang on. I know he's got his daughter there. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, the, in the show. that's just the millimeter. Um, so it's it's 50 cal, and it gives it in millimeter as well. Um, oh, so, okay. I mean, oh, that's how, all it is. Okay. How large the, the caliber is. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if, um, if you so notice, it, that, it does the, the same rifle. thing. I'm sorry. It does the same thing with the uh, the 40 millimeter. It says 1.6 inch. Um, so it, it, it just, okay. it's it's changing it from just metric the... to standard and standard to metric. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, carry on. Um, and Armored Combat Engineering Vehicles, or CEV, C, uh, CEV is the abbreviation. The CEVs used explosives to punch holes in the walls of buildings of the compound so they could pump CS gas tear um, I'm sorry, tear gas, basically, um, that, that's all that stands for, and try to force the Branch Davidians out without harming them. Now, one quick thing, I, I guess I could pull this up a little bit if you wanted. Um, it's Tear gas is commonly referred to as CS gas, which is used as riot agent ex, you know, exposure causes a burning sensation to the eyes, and I could keep reading on it, but we all kind of know about tear gas, okay? So... <clears throat> excuse me, and try to force the Branch Davidians out without harming them. The state plan called for increasing amounts of gas to be pumped in over two days to increase pressure. That is insane. I didn't realize that it was that. I thought this was going to be like, we freaking hit them with the tear gas, we pumped them out. This just right here said over two days to increase pressure. Officially, no armed assault was to be made. Loudspeakers were to be used to tell the branch of Indians that there would, there would be no harmed, excuse me, there would be no armed assault and to ask them not to fire on the vehicles. According to the FBI, the hostage rescue team agents had been permitted to return uh, any incoming fire. So if they were shot at, they could return fire. But no shots were to be fired by federal agents on April 19th when, the, when was, several but branch... no shots were fired. Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry, thank you. The Branch Davidians, so yeah, so on April 19th, when several Branch Davidians opened fire, the FBI hostage rescue team's response was only to increase the amount of gas being used. I have to admit, too, like, I get, yeah, that we were going to do, but like, shooting at a tank is like, that's about useless. I mean, I'm not saying that, it, I'm not trying to defend them, but I'm, I'm just saying that that also seems like a dumb thing to do. Like, you're not, hey, what yeah, you it's do? kind of like the Polish <clears throat> charging tanks on horses. Oh, God's sake. The FBI hostage rescue team delivered 40 millimeter... 40 Mike Mikes. 40 Mike Mikes? 40 Mike Mike. It's Mike Mike. Okay. Millimeter. Oh, oh, okay. I'll get you. put the lingo here. Uh, CS grenade fire from M79 grenade launchers were very... Excuse me. From M79 grenade grenade launchers. Very early in the morning... For anybody that's unaware of what that is... Uh, if you've ever played Call of Duty Black Ops, the original, they had an M79 grenade launcher. It kind of looks like a like a double-barreled shotgun, um, but it shoots a 40 mic mic out of it, and um, it's pretty freaking sweet. Anyway, moving right along. <sighs> Sorry, I was having a <clears throat> I was having an issue over here with my uh, my my. Speaker when I, I I think you were talking about Black Ops though, so I'm sure you gave some great information oh, yeah. there. Call of Duty, uh, very, man. Okay, very early in the morning, the FBI hostage rescue team fired two military M65 or M651 rounds. I don't know how you would say that M651 rounds at the Branch Davidian construction site. Around mid morning, the FBI hostage rescue team began to run low on 44 millimeter Fahrenheit CS rounds and asked Fahrenheit. Texas Ranger. Not Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Oh, sorry. 
Ferret oh, Ferret. Rounds. Okay. Yep. As Texas Ranger Captain David By or is it Byron's? For tear gas burns, rounds. But... Burns, okay. The tear gas rounds uh, procured from Cap uh, from Company F in Waco turned out to be unusable pyrotechnic rounds and were returned to the Company F officer afterwards. So, uh, maybe because I'm reading it, I'm not clearly understanding what that what that meant there. It, what did you just hear? I guess I'm not processing okay, so... what I just read. So the HRT started running low on CS rounds, which is the, the tear gas, obviously. Um, so they're running low on tear gas. They asked the Texas Rangers for more tear gas. Okay. And the uh, the section of Texas Rangers that gave them the tear gas from Company F um, provided them with pyrotechnic rounds. Which they weren't uh, supposed to be using, right? No, because pyrotechnic would imply that these are supposed to start a fire. Or, right, you know, and we're just trying to like gas that. them out at this point. Right. Um, and then it says that they were returned to Company F office afterwards. Now, okay. afterwards, I don't know if that means, like, immediately yeah, or if that a... means after this, this siege. <laughs> that's an interesting um, thing to bring up. I, I, would, I would say, to me, that kind of implies after the day. Um but I I could be I could be wrong, um, you know who knows. Um, but well, anyway, I'll let you keep reading. If you want to keep reading from there for a second, you can go ahead and take over for for a second. That way I can understand well, whatever. Apparently, I'm rough. Not, yeah, I'm not processing the information. Okay. Yeah, sorry, um, I throw it to you. Yeah, but really, no. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, afterwards, 40 Mike Mike uh, munitions recovered by the Texas Rangers at Waco included dozens of plastic ferret model SGA 400 liquid CS rounds, two metal M61E1 military pyrotechnic tear gas rounds. So that right there, that just said that's pyrotechnic. That just yeah, said it does, it does military sound like, Now it says recovered. I don't know if it's referring to from like the ashes but yeah, I mean that's definitely this is one military pyrotechnic tear gas round, two metal NICO pyrotechnic <coughs> sound Excuse and me. flash grenades, and one parachute illumination flare. Um, Why in the French toast do you get a or, flare? I'm sorry, not one. Uh, yeah, it's flares. So they had multiple parachute okay. illumination flares. So I'm, I mean, it's just well, for nighttime little... operations, obviously. Yeah. Uh, after more than six hours, no Branch Davidians had left the building, um, sheltering instead in an underground concrete block room. Now, I don't know because I don't believe the bunker was actually a concrete block room. Now, it could have it had concrete around it, but from my understanding, it was actually a uh, school bus buried in the ground. Yeah. Um, well, there was two. And that was there what was the bunker was. Kind of yes, but there was also in the um, uh, guess off the kitchen area. It was a big storage unit where they kept food. It was also kind of considered like a bunker. Nuts. It was reinforced with cement, and so you had most of them gathering in the center of the building because that would oh, yeah. be the farthest away from everything. But yes, well, the bunker way, was also for that as the bus. They were either within the bunker or they had gas masks. Um, and so it wasn't really affecting them that much. 
Uh, at around noon, three uh, fires broke out almost simul- simultaneously in different yeah. parts of the building and spread quickly. Footage of the blaze was broadcast live by television crews. That was so. Uh, let's and let's back up really quick. I want to give a quote here that it was read by the. Um, it was made available by the Texas Ranger website, first uh, of September back in '99, but also was re-released in 2019 and in 2000. Specifically talking about the M651 pyrotechnic. So what it says is the Army considers the M6. Um, sorry, the M651 a pyrotechnic device and that it is known to cause fires. Note that the Army does not have a formal definition for pyrotechnic device, in quotation marks, from the Castile Memo, Army Tech Manual for the M651. Um, But what it's saying is that it warns that the M651 can penetrate three-quarter plywood at 200 meters, and a projectile may explode upon impact or target impact. During inventory of the Waco evidence, and the Texas Rangers also found flat grenades in FBI evidence envelopes labeled as Branch Davidian silencers. They found. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but like what? They 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 found. The Texas Rangers also found flashbang grenades in FBI evidence envelopes labeled as Branch Davidian silencers. The French toast. Now, if it was just the flashbang on its own, that's one thing, right? Because it's like a flashbang goes off. But when you have all this gas, which the CS is, is, is that's what's referred to, right? The, the tear gas, tear basically. Gas. Yeah. By itself, does not seem to be flammable. So they always put it as, well, it's not a fire starter. But as we'll get into later on in a minute here, probably, it seems to start a lot of freaking fires when it's used in buildings. A lot. It's like, well, it's not a pyrotechnic until it's mixed with the smallest spark in the world that could ignite the entire thing into a raging inferno. Which, if you watch the video, that fire seems to start um, inside of that window and it start coming out the window. I don't know if you've watched the footage too much on this or not of when, when the fire's taking place. No? Uh, sort of, but... Okay, uh, well, it kind of starts in the window and, and it goes quickly, but it, it kind of starts in that window. So it almost makes me wonder, like... Obviously, there's no, we don't have anything for it to show, but like, did they throw, did somebody throw a flashbang in there? You know what I mean? To keep them back? Because the branch divinians were firing. Um, I don't know. It's just some things to to think about. We'll keep, I guess we'll keep going along here with what, what's going down and then we'll, we'll dig back into it a little bit. So, if you want to go ahead and, oh, actually, you know what? I got a whole timetable right here. So, if you want to go back yeah, even uh, farther, yeah, that, I just noticed that. Cool, um, so the entire building was gassed at 6.31 a.m., um, 6.47, which we're up to noon. So I'm just going to give a few facts leading up to noon. At uh, 6.47, the FBI hostage rescue team fires plastic non-incendiary tear gas rounds through windows. So they did do that, in which those guys said, listen, up to 200 meters away, you could penetrate three-quarter-inch plywood. Uh, that, so That it was referring to the m um... The M651, correct. Which is a pyrotechnic gas round. So they yeah. they fired the plastic, which said uh, included dozens of plastic ferret model yeah. SGA 400 well, I guess my CS thing... rounds. So it's not, it's not the same round that you were referring right. to. Uh, also, at 723, FBI surveillance, and this is why I want to bring up the timetable right up to noon because there's some important things that happen. The FBI surveillance tapes record a male branch Davidian saying, the feel has got to go all around to get started. Then a second male says, well, 
there has there are two cans here if that's poured soon. Then at 7.30, uh, CEV-1 is redeployed, which are those are the, the armored personnel vehicles, correct? Or like basically uh, a tank. It's an engineer vehicle. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's basically a tank. Is redeployed, breaching the building and inserting tear ga- uh, gas, branch Davidians fire shots at CEV-1. Now, this is at 7.30 in the morning. So, and it kind of shows in the movie it all happens really fast, but this actually was pretty drawn out. So, it would insert the gun... Uh, the the barrel of the tank or basically that would break into the wall and then they were pumping the gas in through that that, now, that is actually my... uh had ex- <coughs> it sounded like they used explosive um explosives at the end of that that pipe that that rammed into the into the building now i could be wrong about that but that, that right. is kind of what the vehicle was designed to do which, which seems crazy, too, that, like, now, granted, they're using a megaphone saying what's going to happen, but if you're concerned it's to not harm people, you're totally driving a tank into the building. Like, you're knocking, like, you're driving a tank into the building. Seems like, if nothing else, you could very easily accidentally crush somebody or knock something out on somebody. Um, 748, and again, now we're reading about this stuff. Let's just, let's just keep in mind, and if you're familiar with the story, you know how it's going to turn out, but, like, if you're not, let's just keep in mind right now, the only thing that is the only people that are truly guilty here right now are david koresh who has a, a warrant out for his arrest and perhaps a couple other branch davidians but there are probably easily 65 plus people in this building many children included who have done nothing wrong nothing outside of not walking outside of the building but again they didn't actually do anything so what do you do in that situation where you legally have not done any wrong, but now because you're near somebody who has legally done something wrong, I guess, of course, you should separate yourself. But what I'm saying is this is technically their home. It's, it, we'll get into all that in a minute, though. Um, all right. So on FBI tapes of agents, so right after that one is getting shot at, on FBI tapes of, and this is at 748, agents recorded during the siege, an FBI hostage rescue team agent requests permission to fire military-style tear gas shells to break through an underground concrete bunker. Which is what you were talking about, Micah. That's when that happens. Now, <laughs> he receives permission and fires two shells. So this is depicted a little differently in the show. Um, but, but that's basically, they thought where they were hiding would be safe. And then if you watch in the scene, like the tank rolls right in, the door is trapped, and he just starts pumping tear gas into that room, and they're unable to escape. That's how it's depicted in the show. We don't really have that here, but it does say that he penetrated the what they were considering the uh, the concrete what was underground concrete bunker, and he did fire two shells. Seven fifty eight. So ten minutes later, CEV two with battering ram rips a hole into second floor of compound. Minutes later, another hole is punched into the rear of one of the buildings of the compound. The vehicle then with the vehicles then withdraw. So it's not like they're just kind of literally just like driving into the sucker backing out driving it you know what i mean they're they're punching holes into this thing right is that kind of what you're picking up from what i'm laying down here i mean yeah they're they're popping holes to throw gas in another 10 minutes later again 808 three pyrotechnic military tear gas rounds are shot at now again here okay i'm gonna read what it says and then i'm gonna give my sense three pyrotechnic military gas rounds are shot at the concrete construction pit not the concrete bunker so this is the other part you're talking about, Mike, over the bus and all that, the concrete pit, um, away and downward from the main quarters, trying to penetrate the structure, but they bounce off. An agent in the CEV reports that one shell bounced off the bunker and did not penetrate. Now, 
here's what I want to bring up is that they're saying that they in no way, shape, or form, which ends up coming up in the congressional hearing later on, it happens in 96, they claim that they never once used pyrotechnics. Yet right here, it says right here, three pyrotechnic military tear gas rounds. Now, correct me if I'm just not understanding this properly, but tear gas round, it's not even... To, to, to pump tear gas into somewhere, you can't just shoot tear gas, right? It wouldn't do anything. So you have to punch a hole into whatever you're trying to pump the tear gas into, which would need to be a round of some sort, right? An explosive? And, and maybe uh, I'm misunderstanding. It, it doesn't really have an explosive. You would either have to drive your tank, kind of a punch a hole, or a can. Uh, but that's what I'm saying, but it sounds like... it gets shot, so it okay. has some force behind it. So these are just the tear gas then that, that bounced off. These weren't actual shell. Okay. All right. Just yeah. let me make sure. Uh, 824, the audio portion of FBI videotapes ends at the request of the pilot. Now, again, we're a little ways out from the fire. Like you said, the fire started at noon, right? But it's kind of interesting that from 824 till 9 a.m., the Branch Davidians unfear... Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know what that word is. The Branch Davidians unfurl a banner that reads... Oh, right, right, right. They, they, they reveal a banner that says, we want our phone fixed because... <laughs> I forgot about this. So, Steve, um, I can't remember the last thing that the one, um, the investigator, or I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, hostage negotiator says to him he gets pissed off. And Steve literally, and it's depicted pretty well on the show, walked out the front door, took the phone and threw it. Just ripped it out of the wall back when you could do that, you know, and just threw it out there. So, I think it's kind of funny that they made a banner after Steve threw it out the front door and be like, we want our phone back. Like the French, you threw this like you threw it out the front door. What the French toast am I supposed to do about? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anyways, yeah. So it looks like for a good forty something minutes that, that that there's no audio coming. It was just, I mean, nothing really seemed to happen. I guess I'd have to watch the entire videotape to see if something major happened. But it, it is interesting that they cut the the audio at the request of the pilot. Uh, the Branch Davidians unfur. Uh, yeah, okay, so eight nine thirteen. CEV one breaks through the front door to deliver more gas. God's sake! How much? Like we're talking hours of just pumping gas in this place, huh? I mean, they're planning on two days. Which, so. oh, and we didn't even get into that. To be clear, these guys had tear gas masks, right? They. I don't they think. Did I don't have know. Gas if, masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were so like. I don't know if I'm assuming that perhaps the ATF or FBI knew this. I, they had to have known this. They had to have known. Somebody had to have told them about this, that they had. I mean, maybe they didn't. Maybe that's just me making an assumption. But I guess my point is is that they're kind of having no effect on them right now, right? Because they have tear gas masks. Am I wrong? Uh, I, I mean. Two cents on that for no, yourself? They're, or, they're no, they're fine. They're fine as long as you're. Right. You have the mask on. So, uh, so yeah, to deliver more gas, FBI surveillance records a meeting starting at 7.30 a.m. between the several identified males. And this is talking about, you know, them. Uh, I, I would, if this, isn't a, if this is actually a direct quote, I would find that very suspicious. What's that? Um, the very first one, it says, un- unidentified males. Oh, they got yeah, yeah. two cans of Coleman Field down there, huh? <laughs> Why would you specifically call That's out very Coleman Field? Instead of just being like, "Hey, you got you got that fuel," it's uh, yeah, by the way, it's like, camp fuel for anybody who doesn't know. I mean, it's or it's, if if everybody knows what we're talking about here, and if if they were trying, if if you're trying to spread fuel everywhere to burn the place down, why would you might just say you got the two cans down there? You know, why yeah. why would you specifically say you got of that coal men fuel? fuel? 
<laughs> that seems very odd to me. It um, seems a little too on the nose. A little. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was at nine twenty. Oh yeah, continue with what he's saying. Another another identified male says empty. Uh, and then someone asks all of it, and the the other gentleman says nothing left. Interesting. Um, so. Of course, you can follow into the events there if you want to. Go ahead and take over here at 10 a.m. with the guy going on if you want. Uh, sure. Okay. At 10 o'clock, <laughs> uh, a man is seen waving a white flag on the southeast side of the compound. He is advised over loudspeakers that if he is surrendering, he should come out. He does not. Uh, at the same time, a man believed to be Schneider comes oh, out of so the remains of the front door to retrieve the phone and phone line. <laughs> Darn it! Don't get the phone. Ah, <laughs> oh, fudge sticks. I hit the frickin' mic again. Oh, I had to give um, The original so, okay, CB, but to be clear, can I just, CB2. Can I just say something about that that, that happened at 10 a.m.? Sure. He did this. I, I don't know if he was hoping they were going to like reactivate their power because I don't think they have any source of communication right now. He didn't get shot. Why didn't... Why didn't they just, why didn't people start walking out? I, I'm not defending, obviously, what ends up happening here, but, like, he walked out of the building. Uh, because they were phone. being defiant. They weren't, uh... I, 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 listen, I'm, play, I'm laying blame on the the steps of multiple people here. I'm. I, this is not a one-sided deal. But, continue on, I'm sorry. 11.30, what do we got going on? The original CEV2 has mechanical difficulties. It apparently had a damaged tread. Uh, and its replacement breaches through the backside of the compound. Through the backside, huh? Oh, yeah. You think According to the government, there? a series of remarks such as, I want a fire, keep that fire going, and do you think I could light this soon, uh, indicate that Branch Davidians have started setting fire to the complex around 1130. I feel like those are also odd things to say. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Keep that fire going. Branch Davidians testified that Coleman fuel had been poured, and fire experts in Danforth's report agree without question that people inside the complex had started multiple accelerated fires. Then want the now, French toast. So now, right there. So this is like one of those things where, like, every time you read another thing or you go a little bit farther, you're like, "Well, mother trucker, what the French? Like, you all are just a bunch of idiots." Who did a bunch of stupid things that led to a, a catastrophic? Not, a catas- no. I cannot say for fact that I could verify that any Branch Davidians that survived it. Yeah, we're gonna that. we're gonna get into that. I we will, but I'm just saying, like as of right now, testimony. right now that's what we're, that's what we're being told. And that was between 11:17 and, and 12:04. But at 11:43, another gas insertion takes place with armored vehicle moving well into the building at the right rear side to reach the concrete interior room where the FBI hostage rescue team believe the branch Davidians are trying to avoid the gas. That's the room I was talking about. 1145, the wall on the right rear side of the building collapses. So like we said, even if these people now, granted, this started around 6 and we're talking, we're, we're, we're getting at least, even if it started at 7, I think when they first penetrated, we're pushing three and a half to four hours here. So the people have had time to leave if they wanted. But at the same time, you're you're literally just knocking parts of this building down. So the guarantee of no life lost here is not high. I mean, there's a good probability that somebody gets at least severely injured if you're just driving over the, you know, collapsing walls. Uh, 12, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 1203, an armored vehicle 
turret knocks away the first floor uh, corner of the right side. What is I mean, an armored vehicle turret knocks away the first floor corner on the right side. It not so. What are we saying? Like it, it just knocked down that whole so side the of the building. Is that what they're trying to say there? Right corner of the right side. Uh, I, I I presume so. Okay. Uh, then we have right here at twelve oh seven. Right, the first visible flames appear in two spots in the front of the building. First on the left of the front door and the second floor. A wisp of smoke, then a small flicker of flame, then a short time later on the far right side of the front of the building, and a third spot on the back side. An FBI hostage rescue team agent reported seeing a Branch Davidian member igniting a fire at the front door area. These are very convenient things. Now this one is a hostage rescue team, so this is part of the HRT, which was pretty aggressive, but I'm not saying that these guys are all falsifying information, but it some of the stuff just seems a little too convenient and on the nose. Excuse me. Um, that actually came by John C. Danforth special. So that came from the special report. Okay. Uh, 1209, Ruth Riddle exits with a floppy disk in her jacket containing Koresh's manuscript on the seven seals. Whew. I mean, thank God that floppy disk, that floppy disk got out of there. A third fire is detected on first floor. Uh, Mike, you can go ahead and take over here at 1210 if you want. Um, This says the flame spread quickly through the building, fanned by high winds. The building burns very quickly, I would say. Um, An emergency call is placed regarding the fire. Two Waco Fire Department trucks are dispatched shortly after the Bellmead Fire Department dispatches two trucks. Uh, so there's four fire trucks on the way, I assume. Yeah. Uh, Waco fire trucks arrive at the checkpoint where they are halted, not being allowed to pass until 1237. So that's a little uh, bit of time. Bellmead follows shortly after. Um, um, so-, so they held these fire trucks back, even though they knew... Like, I understand for safety purposes. I was going to say, it was because they were being shot at? You know there's a bunch of children inside of this building that's ablaze, Mm -hmm. and you choose to hold them back. Uh, Well, I'm saying, did they hold them back based on the fact that Branch Divinians were firing? It was for safety for the firefighters, yes. Which, I mean, I kind of get, but, like, this is... We'll keep going. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. There's a large explosion left side of the compound. One object hurdles into the air, bounces off the top of a bus, and lands on the grass. Uh, part of the roof collapses. Oh, that, that's at 1225. Uh, 1230, part of the roof collapses. Around this time, there are several further explosions, and witnesses report the sound of gunfire attributed by the uh, HRT to live ammunition cooking off through the building because of the fire. Um, 1243, according to the fire department logs, fire trucks arrived at the compound. And 1255, the fire begins to burn out, and the entire compound is leveled. And then at 345, uh, they announced that uh, David Koresh was dead. No. So, just real quick here. Uh, If the fire starts, the first visible flames are at 1207. Mm-hmm. And the fire is burned out at twelve fifty five. 
that seems kind of odd to me. Uh, building structures, yeah. unless a structure was not built very well. You uh, see in the pictures. I mean, well. obviously, our guests can't really; those listening can't see. But we'll we'll attach some of these. Um, I will. This is a very sure some of these files are attached. So you can look at. Um, and yeah. for it to burn up the entirety of this thing to burn up in less than an hour seems odd to me. And if it's a, another thing that I, I just to give some other small detail that we, we kind of skipped over while we were given the timeline there. Um, it, it like Mike already mentioned, this was this footage of the blaze was broadcast live by television crews. The government maintains the fires were deliberately started by the branch Davidians. Some branch Davidians survivors maintain the fires were accidentally or deliberately started by the assault. Only nine people left the building during the fire. And I, I don't know the exact amount we had in at the time, but only nine people left the building during the fire. The remaining Branch Davidians, including the children, were either buried alive by rubble, suffocated, or shot. Many were killed by smoke or carbon monoxide inhalation and other causes of fire engulfed the building. I want to say there were 26 children and 69 adults. Is that right? Something like that? Uh, or I'm sorry, it's right here, actually. According to the FBI... Steve Schneider, wait, according to, oh, yes, yeah, so Steve Schneider, Koresh's top aide, the right-handed guy we were talking about, uh, shot and killed Koresh and then himself. And that is depicted very well in the show. That's a very dramatic scene of the way that things go down. But they, they believe that that's what happened. In all, 76 people died. A large concentration of bodies, weapons, and ammunition was found in the bunker, in quotation marks, storage room. The Texas Rangers Arsons investigator report assumes that many of the occupants were either denied escape from within or refused to leave until the escape was not an option. It also mentions the structural debris from the breaching operations of the west end of the building could have blocked the possible escape route through the tunnel system, which is like the bus and all that. That's also addressed in the show. An independent investigation by two experts from the University of Maryland's Department of Fire Protection Engineering concluded that the compound res residents had sufficient time to escape the fire if they had so desired. Which we did say, what, 1204, 1207 is when we're seeing the flames, right? 1207, yeah. Yeah. Um, autopsies of the dead revealed that some women and children found beneath a fallen concrete wall of storage room died of skull injuries. Autopsy photography, photographs of other children locked in what appeared to be a spasmic death pose or cons constant with uh, cyanide poison. Yeah, I'm sorry. Consistent. Thank you. One of the results produced by burning CS gas. So that's the thing where they're saying, well, it's not a deadly force, but God's sake, if it catches on fire, then it, it turns into freaking cyanide poisoning. Right. One of the results, um, yeah. yeah, produce it. So the U.S. Department of Justice report indicated that only one body had traces of benzene or benzene. One of the components of solvent uh, dispersed CS gas. Am I reading that wrong? One of the components of solvent dispersed CS gas. Oh, but that the gas insertions had fi had finished nearly one hour before the fire started, and that it was enough time for solvents to dis dissipate or dissipate from the bodies of the branch davidians that ha that had inhaled the tear gas autopsy records also indicate that at least 20 branch davidians were shot including koresh as well as five children under the age of 14 
three-year-old Dalen Grant was stabbed in the chest. Gent. Medic. I'm, I'm so sorry. What? Oh, it, yeah. Get, is it Gent or Gent? Gent. Uh, I would say Gent, but yeah. it so could point be. point being, we're assuming with some of these. Well, here's where it gets interesting because you. I'll finish out the statement, then we'll talk about it. So we have this three-year-old that was stabbed in the chest. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy believed that those deaths were mercy killings by the Branch Davidians trapped in the fire with no escape. The expert retained by the U.S. official special counsel concluded that many of the gunshot wounds support self-destruction self either by overt suicide, consensual execution, suicide, by proximity, or less by likely proxy. force. Oh, by proxy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Or less likely force execution. Um, so, so let's just back up, I guess, for a second here. How many? How many people died? Seventy-six people died in this. Seventy-six people died in the fire. Plus your six, so you had eighty-two people total. Total. Of the Branch Davidians that died during the uh, siege. And. With with these children, with, with with certain children like the one that was stabbed, or the ones they found that had died of like cyanide poisoning, basically, those ones clearly you could say, all right, uh, somebody on the inside killed them. But how are they determining? With we had over twenty branch Davidians were shot because there there seems to be. If you listen to what David said in his interview, he flat out says, "Listen, people, myself and nine other people escaped to the front because David did survive this. He he actually." In the show, it's very dramatic. Like, he has one last look and exchange with Crash, and then literally jumps out a window. Um, I don't know how that actually went down, but he did escape. He insists that around the backside, that the FBI was keeping people in there by firing at them. Now... I don't think there's any actual evidence to support that as far as the cameras. I don't, you don't see any gunfire. There was a lot of glistening that was going on around the back of the building they talk about. And maybe we'll get into it in a second here. But that's a pretty bold statement. I and mean, he pretty much says that that, that wasn't you know, the case. And we're, we're going to get into the audio files really quick. We'll probably make this quick because we've probably been going for a while anyways. But um, that's where we're at with this. I mean, and it's betrayed in the show like the guy who the, the richard rogers getting this all going that he's like devastated by the end he like is realizing what's happened realizes that every single person is burning to death and it's very dramatic there's like one scene where he's trying to get somebody out uh the first wife of david and her son and they're like buried and he can't get to them and they just suffocate to death from the from the gas poisoning them so it's very like in your face however i will say it makes it out like everybody in the compound the center part just went to sleep that's how it kind of makes it out. And it, and it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be they're saying we had, you know, people with crushed skulls because the building had fallen down on them. We had people who were stabbed more than likely by their own parents or somebody to put them out of their misery. And we have at least 20 people who were shot either if they were shot at or have, you know, killed themselves or committed to you shoot me, I'll shoot you kind of deal. Um, so not as, not as uh, peaceful as that particular depiction of it is on the show. Um, you want to take over with the aftermath here a little bit, Micah, and, and, and we'll wrap it up with this and quickly, I guess. And then I guess, uh, give her closing thoughts. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, or think, do we need, uh, should we do a freaking really... third part on this? Like, should we just stop there and like <laughs> go if, into the controversy we, and I stuff? Guess we, we could, that um... seems to be a lot. If we do, I don't think we should wait the whole week on releasing it. If we just read into the aftermath. But uh, we, we, I guess we could end there if you want. It's up to you. If you want to end there, because I, I do think there's some stuff I would like to bring up that we could spend a good hour on. 
far as some of the controversy at the end. So if, if you want to, we we can make this a three parter. This will be a first on Bob. Yeah, our first, we'll our first. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna say it. It's our first okay. three parter. Yeah, I mean, we we could do we could do a third part. Um, okay. So as of right now, we've we wrapped up. Get into any type of spe- speculatory anything Ooh. on that, uh, but. I would add to what you were talking about with with David um, is that I I also heard the same thing was that um, people that uh, were escaping out of the building while it was on fire, Mm. that they were shot upon leaving the building. Now, that's a bold statement. That's a bold statement right there. I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty ridiculous. That's execution. Um, Yeah. So. If that if that were true, I mean that's absolute, you know that's that's tyranny at, at its absolute finest, um, and it's it's you know definitely if if it ever ever had come out uh, or ever does come out that that's what happened, um, you know anybody that's still alive that participated in that needs to be held accountable. Um, yeah. So. Well, we'll see, but uh, I guess we will uh, we will finish this up in episode three. Yeah. Um, but we we appreciate all of you listening, especially if you got this far. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure how far we're in, but I'm sure it's at uh, least an hour and a half. Two hours. Uh, we'll be getting pushing. I'll uh, tell you this though. Eight. Uh, yeah, it might be. This it is, might actually be about two and a half. This is giving me the complete opposite of a broner. I'll tell you that right now. You just uh, had to add that. Too. It's been a long time since I put it in there, um, but it's is we're gonna dig into the aftermath of this because right now we're, we're kind of leaving it. it. There's enough evidence to say I feel that the branch of Indians could have possibly started the fire, and you have audio files. You can look them up. There's audio files for this to, to prove it. But is there? And we're gonna get into some of that uh, in our next episode. So come back for episode three of Waco closing that out. And maybe we can even roll in right in the same episode of like closing out Waco and rolling into, um, the Oklahoma bombing with Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh. Was that McVeigh, his name? Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Um, yeah. If anybody has any information on this that we might've missed or we might've botched, please get a hold of us. Let us know as always. And whatever you listen to us on, please give us a, uh, a rating. Um, we prefer a good rating, but give us what you think is worthy, and we'll be happy about it, and we'll take it. Anything you want to give in closing thoughts, Mike, or we just wrap this one up? No, just wrap it up. All right, guys, you should always wrap it up before you... <laughs> 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 all right, guys, let's... All right, uh, stay curious and keep it weird out there, guys. Let's close this one out. 